Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Oculus. My name is Tom Chick, and to discuss Oculus with you, I have brought along the usuals. Christian Miloski. Uh, I actually don't have a name. You can just call me Dog. <laughs> I want to. Well, okay, hold on. I want to discuss a point of commonality between Oculus and uh, three three days and what, the, what was that Kevin Costner thing? Three days. Three days. Three days. No, no, no. Uh, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, the other Kevin Costner thing, where we don't find out what happened to the dog. Ah, uh, very good. But, uh, three days. Uh, we also kill. Have, three days to kill. Yeah, not three days to live. That's what we were talking about. Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. Kevin Costner shows up with the dog, and we don't find out what happened to it. I was very sad about that. I think that's Maybe a draft us too. <laughs> well, uh, by the way, that was uh, Kelly Wand, who hopefully has for us a tagline for Oculus. Hopefully. Uh, Finally, a movie that taps into our irritation with grotesque cows. <laughs> Tom sounds disgusted. No, I, that was a, that was a. Well, we'll talk about that as well. I'm making notes here. What we need to talk about. I almost did that as my name gag. That you guys could call me grotesque cow. Grotesque cow. Yeah. I thought it was going to be your tag at the end, the Easter egg to impress mm. listeners. Nope. Something else. Something else is coming for that. Cows and dogs. We need to discuss. Uh, uh, do we have any any trailer? Did anybody watch any trailers? Kelly, one, you were asking us about the Godzilla trailer. Why would we watch the Godzilla trailer? What's the matter with you? I think I mentioned on this podcast. I accidentally watched a few frames from it because I thought it was a Transformers trailer, which I don't care about. But the moment I realized it was Brian Cranston talking about Godzilla, I stopped watching. And that's why I always know to avoid the Godzilla trailer because Tom said if. If it looks like Transformers 4, don't watch it. Right. Now, if it is Transformers 4, you can watch that one. That one is Mark Wahlberg in a garage uh, renovating a truck that turns out to be a Transformers, which is kind of probably embarrassing if you are, like, renovating something and it's like a living robot. I mean, you've been poking at it and stuff. Well, why can't you just be happy for him? (laughs) Wow, Diggis, that was your Mark Wahlberg impression? That's what you got for us? No, I was just talking to you. (laughs) <laughs> um, the the thing that surprised me was uh, when Tom didn't want to watch the Purge 2 trailer. Of course not. What? Because <laughs> you didn't like Purge. So? It doesn't mean I still want to watch the trailer. I'm going to see it. I mean, I'm going to... Uh, so, Purge 2, first of all, the main reason Dingus didn't watch it also, uh, it, it has Frank... The very first part of it, I hadn't seen this trailer before. I'd seen another trailer where there's a couple driving... And they're like, oh, we have to get there before it's dark. We don't want <laughs> anything bad to happen. And then their car dies. And I'm like, what is this trailer for? And it dies like in the middle of L.A. And I'm like, what's scary about that? Your car dies <sighs> in the middle of L.A. Already, you yeah. go to a cell phone and you call AAA, whatever. Um, but then it turns out it's a purge trailer. And they're in the middle of the city during that one day where all crime is legal. But this trailer, which I think it's also... Work then either I would assume. I think they do close down on the purge night, uh, but this trailer starts off with Frank Grillo loading up a shotgun and getting in some awesome muscle car, and whatever happens after that, I totally want to see, and I know Dingus felt the same way. Yep. Yeah. I can't. Purge one came out, and you never. I, it looks like the exact same movie from the trailer. I go, oh, it's that movie that I saw a trailer for a year ago. Uh, no. So the problem with. Pur- Purge 1 is a home invasion movie, and that's pretty much all there is to it. Uh, It has no sense of its own satire. It it takes itself completely seriously, which is the absolute wrong way 
to treat this this subject matter. I mean, obviously, I think the script is satire. This idea that for one day all crime is legal, and therefore people just start slaughtering each other. That's kind of funny. That's like social satire. But the person directing the movie didn't get that memo apparently <laughs> in the first one. In the first one, yeah. he hadn't read a modest proposal. Yeah, and so I'm hoping the second one. It's it's a presumably just from what little I've seen. It's like a. It, I'm kind of hoping for a kind of a warriors style. Uh, thriller, you know, this is, isn't home invasion. It's people hanging out on the streets the with crazy people chasing them, trying to. Doesn't get the car break down in the first one? Um, not that I saw it. No, it everybody gets home just fine. I mean, they they get in and they they lock themselves in and everything's fine except for, <laughs> well, the one little thing that goes wrong, which is basically uh, they the locks don't work. Well, they accidentally let in the wrong person. Uh, idiots. Yeah. That's less dumb than you're driving through L.A. Well, it's the Car. daughter's boyfriend, actually. He sneaks in on purge night. Oh, like Wahlberg in Fear. Exactly, Kelly Wand. Exactly. They're very good I can bring it around. Very nice. Nicely done. So, but let's... Uh, okay, so speaking of Fear... <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, hey, Kelly Wand. I had an awesome segue. Uh, Kelly Wand right, stepped on right. my segue. No, go ahead. Uh, I mean, man, we're not going to get a better segue than that tonight, Kelly Wand. No, I'll bring it back again. Okay, go. Watch. Yeah. I saw a movie this week. I want to know if you'd seen it. It's a movie called Butter with Jennifer Garner versus Isn't Olivia Wilde. The, the Butter Sculpture? Yeah. No, I've never seen that. I know of it, but I haven't seen it. It's literally about a butter sculpture, right? Yeah, and metaphorically about I, yeah. butter also. Well, who went... So should... Should we see? It? I, I'm, so I'm just going to guess if it's Jennifer Garner versus Olivia Wilde, I'm pretty sure that Olivia one the housewife. Guess which character's which? I was going to. Oh, who's which? Who's what now? Nothing. No, I was going to play your game. I was just going to say, I'll bet that in in real life that matchup would be won by Olivia Wilde. But in Hollywood language, if this is like a studio movie, Jennifer Garner would have to win. Am I close? I think Jennifer Garner. Speaking of fearing Jennifer Garner. <laughs> Speaking of having butter on toast for dinner. Was that all you... Oh, I was going to say in the Godzilla trailer. I don't want to hear about the Godzilla trailer, so what do we need to know about butter? I just wondered if you'd seen it. Oh, should I? Mm, it's got some good wild in it. Okay, oh, okay. Oh. But I thought by the end it, was, it had sort of lost its own. It did what you said The Purge did. Is it a horror movie? No. Oh. But it suddenly goes, okay, seriously, this is all going to really happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Purge does. <laughs> and Godzilla. It's all going to happen. It's all going to happen the same day, too. Which is weird. All right, so Kelly Wan, give us that segue that's way better than the one about speaking of fear. Speaking of when I said fearing Jennifer Garner earlier. <laughs> Nick, what did we see this week? All right, well, this week we saw Oculus. Mm. A 2014, listed as 2013 because it debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival. Doesn't matter to us, Dingus. We're talking about theatrical releases. Film festivals don't matter to us. Uh, that's a good point. A 2014 horror antiques roadshow movie about a mirror that has nothing to do with this movie. It was directed by Mike Flanagan. And written by him, Ampersand Jeff Howard, based on a short screenplay by him, Ampersand Jeff Seidman. It stars Karen Gillan, Brenton 
Thwaites. <laughs> Katie Sackhoff. I guess. Yeah. And Rory Cochrane. Um, Oculus is rated R Aha. for terror, mm. violence, mm. some disturbing images, mm. and brief language. Uh, after we saw this, I actually thought I had just seen a PG-13 movie. <laughs> yeah, me I think too. That R's are getting softer and softer these days. Yeah. Um, the letter R, not O-U-R-S. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Oculus opened at number three. Oh. This, wait, yes, Kelly Lund? I was just going to say there was only one sum in Dingus's ratings right up. So that yeah. means... Some disturbing images. There's just some of them. They're not right. disturbing images or thematic elements throughout. It's unusual you get, a, you get only a one sum. I can't believe this our, is an R-rated movie. I honestly can't. Yeah, there's no point for that. Yeah. So it opened at number three behind Captain America and Rio 2. Uh, both of those movies God. beat it. Uh, it made $12 million, which is, I guess, about as well as mm. that sort of movie is going to do. There are no names in it. So uh, it has been several months since there has been like a, a horror release. So Oculus is the name, Tom. That's the name of it. The name in it. That's the big name. Oh, oh I, see what you, I see what you're doing. Yeah, but there's no one famous in it, was my point. Right. Uh, I had certainly heard that. As a matter of fact, I re- well, well, we'll get into this in a moment. What? Make another note was, here. Is this another thing you read for? You read for the mirror or something? Too <laughs> <laughs> often came in and went. Because Tom is made out of one single piece of mahogany. Uh, I did, however, I, I read for Brenton Thwaites' eyebrows. That's the point I was hoping for. Keep <laughs> uh, On Metacritic, Oculus uh, is at 61. And this is the mm. average rating from various reviews. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, Oculus is at 71. However, if you click on that little top critics button, which uh, filters out most of the reviewers and instead gives you a core of more seasoned veteran reviewers, they're called top critics. If you click on that button, Oculus goes from 71% on Rotten Tomatoes to 59%. Oh, clicking is fucking weird. I guess is the takeaway, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah definitely. Don't, don't click on buttons or you're going to mess the numbers up. They'll change. Yeah, uh, Kelly Wand, I would imagine that writing a synopsis for a horror movie, way, way easier than writing one for, say, a comedy. You mean like Noah? <laughs> <laughs> Noah was kind of more of a rom-com, though, and those are then it gets, goes back to being easy. You know? Somewhere God is going, somebody finally gets me. Because rom-coms are like more serious than dramas, even. Because they always have to have tears at the end. While some dramas will go, what? Like rom-coms birdie. tend to take the romance and their comedy very seriously, Kelly Wand. Yeah, but in the dramas, you don't know when the rom parts will be. Mm-hmm. Like, Terms of Endearment. That's that's kind of a rom without the calm, isn't it? That's just a rom. <sighs> <laughs> that's, that's a drom-com. There's no comedy in terms of endearment. There's nothing funny in that movie. How come bromance? John Lithgow. John Lithgow's funny. Is that the movie where he cross dresses? No. Gart. Oh, that's yeah, uh, that's right. That's yeah. Uh, but enough about that. Kelly Wand. 
I would like you, because I'm a little fuzzy on some of the kind of like the rules of this movie, so I would like you to break down for the listeners the events of what happens in Oculus so that we can. So there, I'm warning people listening, there are spoilers coming up. Kelly Wan might include spoilers in his Oculus synopsis. Maybe there's another word for it. I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> just letting no. you know that could happen. So Kelly Wand, why don't you give us an Oculus synopsis? What do you really think it's called? I think Kelly Wand, it's called the Oculopsis. Yay! You're getting better. Thank you. You're almost as good as Dingus. <laughs> Even Dingus. <clears throat> By the way, when you say... Um, I need you to do this because I don't know what happened in the movie. You're saying that because your thing's mainly science, right? And math. Oculopsis. Then I dreamed I shot some children, and when I woke up, my pillow was gone, which I'm fine with. Fucking hated that thing. I hereby pronounce you sane, white man! Oh, God. <laughs> really? Already? It's like Game of Thrones. You don't know when it's going to happen. It- <laughs> Is there like like an audio mirror? I'm hearing a mirror right now. We all have curses to bear. That's how it was in the movie. What'd okay. you see? Did the mirror screw with your mind and you saw something else, Dingus? I heard a lot of things. On a projector. How do you even know you're in the theater? How do I even know we're doing this podcast right now? Because I am I pronounce you sane, why, man? Oh, Jesus. Thanks, Doctor. Me not psychiatrist. His name is Miguel. The doctor's name is Miguel. <laughs> Me not no name. That's to you, Dingus. All right. Oh, well, sometimes it's not what you say, but how you say it. You taught me that. Watch me eat watermelon. <sighs> Meanwhile, at a cursed object auction in Barstow... <laughs> I told Kamina, I told Kamina, I'm going to sell the haunted whisk of Winnetka to the three glaze-eyed teenagers in the front row for a bag of weed. Always good to see young people participating in their community. Fuck, I thought we were buying weed. Sorry, kid, there's no such thing as a weed auction. Prices in that industry are pretty fixed. At least you got a whisk out of it. Probably the best thing that could happen to you today. So, next item up, Satan's bong. Fuck! <laughs> I did another Game of Thrones there, Dingus. Hmm. Wait, sorry, Father Flanagan says that's not for sale yet. Uh, guess we're in a church. Okay, so substitute next item, uh, this creepy-ass mirror. Actually, you know what? This thing's so fucking possessed, we'll pay one of you 40 k just to get it out of... I bid $16,000! <laughs> All right. Going once, twice, three times to the lady <laughs> with the ginger pokies and psychotic eyes whose brother famously blamed the same mirror for driving their dad insane. Good luck surviving looking at yourself. <laughs> the rascally auctioneer character. Dinkus. Hey, sis, thanks for picking me up at the insane asylum. Gosh, this is almost as cool as backing up my mirror story to the cops ten years ago would have been. <laughs> yeah, well, we couldn't just kill the mirror back then. We had to wait ten years for me to lose track of its whereabouts. But don't worry, I've got everything figured out. I'm a mirror-slaying genius. You should have seen me in the storage basement today pulling sheets off everything. 
that fucking mover guy had interrupted me, I'd have given whatever was lurking under that third sheet a firm talking to. <laughs> Tom's cat concurs. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty interesting, not listening at all. Man, I haven't been inside a Denny's in almost ten years. This is the happiest day of my life. Hey, remember when you whacked Mom in the mouth with a golf club, but I'm the one who got put in a straitjacket for saving your life? If you think that's good news, wait till you hear this. I found the mirror. Uh, the one that made our parents insane and almost killed both of us? No. Oh, wait. Yeah, that one, too. Now it's payback time. Uh, look, I know we're 0 for 1 against mirrors, and this one made our dad nuts, but so do Legos. I've totally figured out what we did wrong. We didn't videotape it, so now I've moved it into our old house. Its power seemed at their weakest there. Uh, yeah, I don't take this wrong, sis, but can I just go back to the asylum? <laughs> don't be crazy. We'll destroy the mirror together as a family. It'll be fun, like old times. Yeah, it's just my first night out of the nut house uh, as a grown-up. Not sure I've even had sex yet. Um, can we just watch Grey's Anatomy tonight or something? But our promise! What promise? To kill the mirror, you know? The one that we made to each other when you were getting taken away by the cops. Yeah, I don't remember promising shit. That was just you talking to you. Greg! It's Sean. <laughs> Look, I have tons of precautions in place this time. My plan's literally idiot-proof. That mirror's gonna have egg all over its face. I promise. See, we just promised again. Uh. Look, we're already instantly back in Dad's office, staring at our reflections in the mirror and holding knives to each other's throats. This is going even easier than I thought. Fuck yeah, bitch. Thanks for saving us drive time and gas money there, mirror. See, Greg? When I punch myself in the face, my reflection does it too. Guess you could say it's in a lot of pain. Get it, Greg? In e pain. <laughs> uh, what's with all the snack packs and ice chests and bottled water? Because we might be here all night. Hear that, Mir? Your plans to dehydrate these Wonder Twins just went right down the tubes. That's what happens when you live in glass houses. Greg, turn the cameras on. They're missing all my zingers. Yeah, okay, first off, we're not twins. You're three years older. But somehow, I got the murder rap. Come on, Greg. Quit living in the past. Help me put all these plants and dogs around. <laughs> Couldn't you just burn the house down with the mirror in it after I got arrested? I knew you'd want to be here to avenge Dad's death at your hands that I talked you into. Oh. Wait, what's with the plants and dogs again? <sighs> it feeds off them. If they die, we'll know we're in mortal danger. Although it'll fuck with our heads anyway, so it's probably safer just to ignore them. Oh. Wait, we're feeding it on purpose? Isn't that dumb? Can you tell that stupid dog to stop whimpering? That's not what I brought him here to do. Now, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, electronics are unreliable here, and so is reality. So, we'll be using only plasticware and virtual reality. <laughs> and just between us and the mirror, sure wasn't easy keeping people from buying this place for ten years. It got a little easier every time there was an open house, and I'd jump out of the cupboard shouting, <laughs> My dad went nuts typing in here! <laughs> but still. Okay, now turn that camera on me. How do we even know the camera's really on? I thought you just said electronics. Hello, my name's Praley McGillicuddy. The camera operator just farted as my twin brother by three years, Greg. Sean! <laughs> Can't hear the mirror's whispers. I mean, 
Our task tonight is to prove that this mirror is not friendly. Whatever my job is, obviously my credibility goes without saying. And Greg here is a murderer who just spent 10 years in a mental institution. Greg, say hi and state your name into the lens cap. Please stop calling me Greg. Ugh, we'll fix it in post. Craig and I are currently at 1408 Street. The city and state are not pertinent to this investigation. I have no paranormal training of any kind, and since electronics are unreliable, I have taken three precautions. <laughs> precautions. <laughs> Greg refilled that. I fucked up the line. <laughs> I have taken three precautions. One, filling this room with monitors and the rest of the house with light bulbs. I figure ghosts hate electricity since you rarely see one at the gas station. Number two, my fiancé Larry's waiting outside in his car and will be honking three times every <laughs> time. <laughs> Until a neighbor asks him to stop. Precaution three. Okay, so two precautions. Hey, we ran out of tape ten minutes ago. Is that knowing? No one knows what mirrors are made out of, but this photo of George Washington was taken in 1750 by his wife, Martha. They're now both dead. Fact. This is a painting of a different photo I spilled a latte on three weeks ago in Washington. Notice anything unusual about it, Greg? <laughs> Sean. Uh, no, I do not. Exactly. Fact. This is a picture of a plus-sized person in 1851 who claimed the mirror occasionally made him feel three pounds heavier. <laughs> Here's a photo of him, or someone with a similar beard weighing slightly less 30 years later. I guess you could say he's a pale reflection of his former self. <laughs> hey, what do you need me here for again? Fact, this photo was taken just 12 weeks ago, but by whom? Fact, here's a receipt from Taco Bell I was given eight hours ago. What was on TV at the McDonald's I stopped at afterwards? Oh, a little something called Saved by the Bell. Hey, what if we put a normal mirror in front of this one, and then maybe it'll haunt itself and commit suicide? <laughs> Can I watch that movie? Try to make the brother a little more relatable. I guess he'd come back as a ghost, huh? Greg, if you're not going to take this seriously, I'm just going to drive you back to Denny's and tell the auctioneer you changed your mind. Cool, do it. <laughs> That's the mirror talking. Hey, why don't you just put a note on it for the movers that just said, please handle with your usual care. Wouldn't even have made onto the truck in one piece. Shh. Shit, I'm missing 30 more photos. Do you have any on you? Hey, don't let the dog out. What the fuck, Greg? <laughs> Saving this dog's life. Off you go, boy. Run out into traffic. That wasn't cool, Greg. Hey, honey, surprise. It's me and your fiancé. Uh, I know tonight's your mirror night, but I just thought I'd surprise you with this Mexican band. <laughs> nice try, Mir. My fiancé doesn't even know the address here. Gee, I wonder if I'll get the murder rap for this one, too. Uh, wait, hang on. I just got a text from the mirror. It says, ha ha, this is too easy, lols. <laughs> Oh, well, obviously this band's not real. <laughs> Fire. Con Dios. Hang on, another text from the mirror. It says, uh, whatever you do, don't call the cops or anything. See, Greg, we got it on the ropes. 
Uh, new text. Here's looking at you. Zing. Get it. Sign the mirror. Greg, as long as we're inside the house, texting is unreliable. We're outside right now. Being really dumb. No, Greg, we only think we're outside. Ah, fuck this. I'm calling the cops. No! We're doing super good. Bottled water! <sighs> I can't believe I traded down from Bay Lang Psychiatry. Hello, cops. Yeah, my sister bought a defective mirror. Can you come arrest it? Okay, we're on our way. Thanks, officer. Ah, uh, what the fuck, sis? You broke my cell phone, but not yours. Big surprise. Quick, through the window. Oh, uh, we're both standing in front of the mirror. See, it's trying to kill us by using my own seesaw claw hammer trapeze guillotine spike against us. But we outsmarted it by looking through nature's most trustworthy substance, glass. Now let's get back in there and gloat triumphantly. Wait, if we're both standing side by side in front of it, won't your spike just swing right between us and shatter it? Then we just got to worry about its haunted frame. Hey, where are you going? Back inside. I'm thirsty. Nine fake-outs later. Greg, the mirror tricked you. Kept you from seeing me standing in the way. Uh, yeah, that's what happened. I totally didn't see you. Mom, <laughs> <laughs> well, I said, hey, uh, thanks again for the ride. All right, kid, you're under arrest for your sister's murders and bizarre suicide. I'm no lawyer, but you probably won't be getting out for a long time. That's cool. At least I'm finally free of that malignant presence. Can't believe we shared the same parents. Oh, by the way, due to budget cutbacks, I'm afraid you'll be sharing a cell with the mirror. It'll also be your defense lawyer and the judge. Who's also uh, just elected president. Long story. Yeah, I get it. Are my fucking handcuffs haunted too? Of course not. Just one of them. This ain't a police state. I don't have in them. <laughs> that works just fine. I mean, that's how the movie ended. <laughs> Kelly Ron, you said you let us know before we saw it that you missed three apparently crucial minutes and you might have questions. Oh, yeah. Okay, so when <laughs> Starbuck goes in mm-hmm. and um, her scar starts pouring blood... Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a call, and I had to leave the theater, even though it was, a screen told me not to do that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I came back, Mom Scarbuck was uh, in the attic, I mean, in the master bedroom with a collar around her neck and a chain. Right. So Rory Cochran... <laughs> oh, my. Really? You missed that? That's awesome. Yeah, Rory Cochran had basically... Uh, the idea was he had subdued her, and uh, she... Uh, am I right, Dingus? Like she tries to. Well, no, she goes after the kids. She tries right. to strangle her daughter. And and so uh, Rory Cochran's like that part. Okay, so then he, he has to lock her up under the pretense that she's sick and needs help. But you also get. I think you're supposed to get the feeling that he's killed her. Accidentally. Not mm, maybe. Uh, they say before. They no, because they say they clearly explain early on during the exposition stuff that she had been tortured for like. And, Days on end and then killed. Yeah, but the kids are unreliable narrators, and the way that I mean, just the that that the way that they deal with the body when she's limp on his lap and she he flops her over and then drags her away. Yeah, I, I, here's one of the rare instances, Dingus, where I am smarter at watching a movie than you oh, because the goodness. movie clearly wants us to know that she's in for being tortured, like, like being imprisoned and tortured, like that we uh, know that's the fate awaiting her. 
I, I think the movie wants us to think that there could be very well be a dead body in there, and then they're hoping that we'll creep into that room and she'll like lash out at somebody. Right. I, I, there's that moment where where she's chained to the wall and she lashes out, and that's right. But we know scared. she's not dead. Like we know that the I don't, I don't know that. So, that, you, uh, so you're you're smarter than I am in in seeing this movie. I thought she I thought he had accidentally killed her. Well, I didn't figure out the secret identity of the villain in Captain America. So Dingus one to one, tied. The next yeah. person to be smarter in a movie will pull ahead. All right. Let's go. To and also, Tom was outwitted by a comic book. So. What? I've least. never been outwitted by a comic book. I don't know what you're on about. I've never even read a comic book, so they are. A rem. They, they all outwitted you then. Uh, all right, so who here saw Absentia? Dingus, did you actually get to watch that? Yeah, I watched all of it. Oh, okay. Uh, well, so the director of uh, Oculus, a fellow named Mike Flanagan, he's a uh, not a first-time director. This is his first, uh, I guess, studio film. Uh, he had made a movie that I think did a festival circuit circuit and it might have even had some sort of crowdsourcing thing but he made a little tiny production sort of a no budget movie called absentia which uh i saw months ago it's been on netflix That's a girl's name sorry uh it's actually not it's latin tell <laughs> want oh yeah for so. what for dementia <laughs> for, for doll's eye uh and oh. so uh so I, I knew mike flanagan as oh this is the guy who did absentia which i actually didn't didn't like that much but had some Sort of, uh, I, I like some elements of it. So I was mainly curious to see Oculus uh, to see what this guy would do next. And I actually also, once again, here here we go, Dingus. I'll seed ground to you. I'm an idiot because I thought he was using the same actors from Absentia in Oculus. So so Absentia is basically one of the cool things about it is it's it's a sort of a relationship story about two sisters. Um, and there's not a lot of like slasher things that are being chased through the woods. It's basically just about these two girls dealing with um, kind of an existential crisis that becomes a horror movie. Uh, and the two sisters are played by an actress named Courtney Bell uh, and another actress named Katie Parker. Uh, Katie Parker I could have done without. She's terribly miscast in absentia. Um, but Courtney which, Bell. Which one's Katie Parker? Katie Parker is the one who's supposed to be the hardened uh, former junkie. Oh, okay. She's just way too pretty and bubbly to be playing the role that yeah. has been written for her. But Courtney Bell, who, and I love this about her, and it figures into the movie, she is so freaking pregnant <laughs> in absentia. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Uh, and, and the weight, it's like, all, I mean, it's not like this pregnancy where they just put a basketball under her shirt. Like, you can, it, it's in her face. And, and she's a beautiful woman, by the way. I'm not. Same no, she's funny. great. She's got a Katie Featherston kind of thing about her. Well, she's also really good in the movie, too. Like, yeah. you can see her trying to work with Katie Parker, but Courtney Bell I really liked in Absentia. So, I thought for some reason, and again, this is my own fault for, I, I think I hear something about a movie and then I, I go into, like, personal blackout. I don't want to know anything about it. So, whatever little inkling I get is the only thing I know going in, and for that reason, I think stupid things like... Oh, yeah, Michelle Yeoh is in Captain America, and this ends up not being true. <laughs> so I thought that Katie Parker and Courtney Bell were going to be main players in Oculus, and instead, Katie Parker's nowhere to be seen. I'm okay with that. Courtney Bell is only briefly in the movie as the auction, the, the woman doing the auction. Um, so she just has uh, – can it be a cameo if it's not a famous person? I don't know. So she's just got a little tiny part. That was a woman's voice, by the way, in the opsis for the auctioneer. I noticed Kelly Wan. Yeah, I wasn't okay. Good because I was. I, was, I thought me. I mean, a man's voice. <laughs> Wait, a woman's voice. Which is one's right? Woman's voice. That's what it was. Courtney Bell is a woman. Yeah, it's not like Courtney B. Vance. Yeah, that kind of Courtney. I remembered that. Yeah. 
That's just uh, how I am. Too masculine. So, Dana, what, what did you think? So, Kelly Wand, you didn't see Absentia, right? You didn't tell me so. Mm, it's all your fault. I think we did. A, okay, maybe you did. Maybe I did. I don't so think you, you needed to, but it, it was a. It's a good point of a spoiler, though. Going into I should have watched it after. But after you were like, dude, I can't watch the end of Lights Out. Uh. I, well, like, I, don't, I don't actually don't recommend like I, I think if we're going to see Oculus and talk about Oculus, Absentia might be an interesting point of reference. But I don't recommend Absentia. I mean, I think it like I said the the mm. casting is problematic. Uh, the location is terrible, by the way. I think I even like I if you live in an area, the location it was just shot somewhere in somewhere in the valley, I guess. Uh, it's an argument for for what happens when you keep production in L.A. Those of us who live in L.A. see a movie like that, and we're like, no, that's just right down the street. Uh, and it's so clearly like they well, sell this as like a, a tough neighborhood, and here's this mystical uh, tunnel, which is just some graffitied pedestrian <laughs> walkthrough, which looked awful. Like I think the location in Absentia almost sinks it. Um, like there's no sense. Oh, that, so it's a different storyline from. Oh, totally different storyline. Oh, okay, I thought. Oh yeah, and she's the auctioneer. I thought that meant just it was the just no no just okay. the actress appears. Uh, but the movie itself, I don't necessarily recommend. It's like an interesting study of you know what somebody with no budget and a possibly interesting script uh, can do with limited resources. The power of activity. The first one was San Diego condo, and that was and that's a. Good. I'm glad you bring that up, Kelly Wan, because that served the story very well. But what they're trying to do in Absentia is create this idea of a rundown, crime-riddled neighborhood and a mystical location that over centuries has has acquired a reputation. Like it's this mysterious tunnel, and there's almost this like Lovecraftian background to it. And mm-hmm. it's just a freaking walkway under the 405. Uh, you know, that's literal. Well. I don't think that's necessarily an inherently bad idea. Well, I do think the mundane elements of the location in, in Paranormal Activity are fin- – I mean, they serve the material perfectly. And I think they're a liability in what Absentia is trying to do. But if you were a graffiti artist, what's it called? Well, Dingus, what uh, – What did – Actually, let me hear you talk about Absentia, Dingus. So you 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 watched it before or after we saw Oculus? After. Okay. Uh, are you as down on, on Absentia as me? Did you like it? What, what did you think of Absentia? Well, no, I quite liked it. Um, okay. I partly because uh, what, what you notice is that um, that Mike Flanagan uh, edits both movies too. Um, and I think the editing in Absentia is just another one of these. There, there are some low-budget movies that work because the editor really made it work. And I think he does a great job of editing um, Absentia. There's a couple of sequences where I was just like, wow, I could really I, – I love the music here. I love what how he's cutting it, where he's putting the audio, what he's doing. When the sisters are uh, looking at the new apartment, there's this whole great sequence where he edit, edits it beautifully. Um, and I think that, that the editing in Oculus I, – I, I think fails the movie in a lot of Well, before of we get to Oculus, though, but, you're, but, you're saying but you Essentia, uh-huh. uh, Well, I, I don't know that I recommend it, but, but watching it after watching Oculus, for me, I, I, liked the, I liked the sense of place as far as that tunnel was concerned. I don't, I don't agree with you on that. The problem, I think, is that their apartment is far too nice. I mean, it's just like they've got, they've got tons of room. The bathroom looks like a hallway. I mean, it, it's, 
it's just that there's no sense of place as far as either apartment that they're looking at is concerned. It's just a ginormous space. It looks like a space in Brooklyn or somewhere. It does not. I, I don't get a sense of the neighborhood at all as being a place that's scary. You're absolutely right, Tom. But I find that tunnel creepy. It reminded me of Irreversible. It reminded me of a couple other things. Um, it freaked me out because of the way they they because of the way it was edited and shot. So uh, I like the way that Absentia is put together um, very much. Uh, but I don't I don't I don't think it's for everybody. And I think it it's useful as sort of a a thing to watch as research for doing a, a show about Oculus. But I don't know that I would get a lot of watching Absentia on its own. But I think it's I think it's better than you're giving it credit for. Should Kelly Warren see Absentia? No, it'd be a waste of his time. He should he should really be reading the Game of Thrones books that haven't come out yet. <laughs> All right. Wait, what? Uh, so yeah, so inside joke. That's so we've been talking about Game of Thrones before. Sorry, wanted, I apologize. Kelly I apologize. wanted us to read those books. So no, I uh, think there's there's plenty of other horror movies uh, for people who like horror movies. Again, I'm I'm. I'm naive as far as horror movies are concerned. I'm not as as experienced as you two are. So seeing something like Absentia, a low-grade horror movie, I can appreciate it. I can appreciate how little budget it, and what it does with how little budget and how bad some of the acting is, but how much they're trying. Um, I like that stuff. Sometimes it gets on my nerves, but here... I, they're, they're just they're trying so hard that guy who plays the cop I don't know who he is but he's so earnest uh, I, I don't think the in I mean the husband in, in absentia yeah right, right. and and I and I certainly like I, I, again I don't remember her name what's her name uh, Courtney Bell is the pregnant actress Katie uh, Parker is the Miss Castle I think Courtney Bell really has a great great quality to her yeah, yeah. Um, and I could I, I mean I could have sat there through a whole movie with her and I did uh, Katie Parker you're right she's really just way too healthy and beautiful for that part uh, the, but assuming uh, listeners didn't see Absentia like Kelly sorry Yes, well, it's, uh, it's, is a, you know I, I don't recommend it. I mean, I just think it, it's a, it's an intriguing script, and but I do give it props for being a good exercise in in. And I don't want to uh, beat this term into the ground, but I think it's an important distinction. It's a it's a, a good exercise in how to do existential horror rather than uh, hey, here's a reveal. Oh, it's a monster. And by the way, I think it's a huge failing of Oculus. By the way, that. The, the sense of existential horror that Mike Flanagan creates in Absentia is nowhere in evidence in Oculus. Yeah, absolutely, Oculus you're absolutely is just right. A conventional haunted mirror, mirror. It's just, not even haunted. It's just a haunted doodad movie. It could be. Uh, it could have. That could have been a lamp. It doesn't have to be a mirror. That could have been a lamp or a house or whatever. And there's no sense of personality. There's certainly none of this. Well, he does play with it a little bit, but there's none of this cool sense of... of uh, so, Absentia is called Absentia because it's about a woman whose husband went missing seven years ago, and she's filing the paperwork to declare him. I guess it's dead in absentia. Right. What you call it, and so and and as this paperwork is going through, her sister, who's been uh, in some sort of drug rehabilitation program, has gotten out and is coming to stay with her. The woman is pregnant. We don't really know the situation with that. So there's some cool character stuff going on there, and it's about this idea of of you know dealing with loss and someone being missing. Whereas Oculus is just a ah, haunted doodad. Um, you know, it's a conventional ghost thing. So the stuff that I thought made absentia intriguing, at least. Uh, is completely missing from Oculus. So while I'm sitting here saying I don't necessarily recommend Absentia, I would definitely recommend it over Oculus, as, as, as we'll get into in a second. Uh, so, Dingus, I'm wondering if you agree with me on this. I, I Every now and then watch a movie, and an actor just stands out for me as so exceptionally, unforgettably 
horrible. And, <laughs> and there is an absentia, not the main detective, but the guy who was his sidekick. <laughs> oh, my God. I was Every scene that guy was in, I could not take my eyes off of him because he was so, so terrible. It was amazing to me. The sidekick detective in absentia is truly a wonder to behold for how awful he is. Um did, did that guy stand out for you? Do you remember I'm talking about? He would be chewing gum and. Oh, I absolutely know who you're talking about because he he calls to mind the fiance in Oculus. I mean, the, oh, the... I'm sorry for that guy, but yeah, I mean, just, just he for... rolls over and he says, "Don't worry, it's just one of your night terrors. It's, it's just ignore it." I mean, he's just, but he he doesn't have a presence in Oculus. But you're absolutely right about that guy. He he looks like a Seinfeld character. He's just so it's he's just hapless and he's like. Trying to be so serious, and I'm chewing gum and yeah. uh, taking off my glasses. Uh. Sorry, right, so Kelly Wan, Dingus, and I have kind of let slip that we thought Oculus was a little conventional. Why don't you start us off as, as someone who this is your first Mike Flanagan film? Uh, what did you think of Oculus? Mm, I was kind of rooting for it, and it was it had. Some parts early on that scared me, which The Conjuring never did. Like, I liked the setups. But I also thought afterwards that none of its effects were... They were all derivative. They were all from things I liked better. Mm -hmm. Like, the metaphysical stuff of, like, oh, the bad... Like, you can't trust anything that happens in the space. It's kind of like from 1408. And Grave Encounters also. And Nothing You Can Do. The Grudge. And the one thing that I thought was going to make it interesting, I'm like, oh, she's got some plan to kill. Like, she sets out to do all these things. Uh, was going to be, oh, it's going to be like the. It's going to be a revenge movie <laughs> on the mirror. But instead, it's the flashbacks, too. Or, I think that's always a bad idea. If you intersperse your flashbacks with the present story, I realize it's supposed to disorient me and make me feel um, like the like another, another onion layer of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. But it was also just, I know they live, and I kind of know what happens. So it's actually taking me out of the what's really going to happen mm -hmm. story. Plus, they weren't there for everything that happened that they... In the flashbacks, so... Oh, I didn't even think of that. Like the dad's Band-Aid thing. Like, she but slaps it, the brother for, like, how dare you ever say anything against dad. Right, but I think that's the movie existing on a third-person perspective. Yeah, but it's still... So. But you're right, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, if it's then going to play with this idea of them not sure if they're in the present or the past, you know, we as the audience, it's kind of cheating the fact that we as the audience were previously third-person observers. We were seeing things, and now it's wanting us to share in this unreality. It just feels yeah. manipulative. And it, felt, and it also feels padded, too, because it seems like it's it's scarier early. And then I'm assuming that Absinthe is a short movie? Like a, it's a standard 90 yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, oh, is it? Okay. Because I thought maybe it was just like he he's... Like, horror is harder to sustain in a long, longer form. I think it's just... We should just fucking get rid of the whole two-hour thing. Or even an hour and a half. <laughs> we just, like, go back to double features. Like, two fucking horror movies. Uh, right. During the three-by-three, three, I'm going to talk about a movie that's only... Uh, it's probably even less than 60 minutes long. Whoa. We'll get to that. So, documentaries aren't movies. But those, <laughs> if they're uh, only 10 minutes long, which is kind of what you said... Well, I, I think you, touching on what you're saying, Kelly Wan, I think one of the, I always hate to second guess a filmmaker, but I think one of the failings of this, and I don't know if this was in the editing or if the script was like this, but 
we know we see the ghost early on. We know there's something supernatural happening. So there's no tension where there should be between the brother and the sister as far as, you know, is she crazy? Is right. he crazy? And they even try to play with this. Like if you were to cut this movie differently, I think you could have a pretty cool setup with the brother not being sold, and, and, and maybe as the audience, we don't know whether to believe the sister. Is there or isn't there something supernatural? Like, it seems like the movie is really pushing this angle of the tension. Between. Is it real? But we, as the audience, have already seen the ghost. I mean, yeah. we already know. So it's creating this, you know, there's no tension there when there should be. And there could have been yeah. some some cool sort of narrative feints there. Um, because I did like some of the setup where she's being shown to be a super competent ghost hunter and he is shooting holes in her 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 research and any any movie by the way that comes out with this idea that that uh that uh corroboration is not causation like i love the fact that he's smart (laughs) enough to know that and i'm like yeah most horror you know that's something that should be introduced in probably any movie that's trying to lay out something scientific that's awesome thank you movie um but it doesn't i mean we again we already know she's right and that he is wrong and just needs to be brought around. Um, well, and she's an idiot. Like, they're not... She's doing all these things that she thinks are systematic, planning against it. But she's like, all right. <laughs> well, it all completely falls apart, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's, and that's another thing, is I don't... The dad did better than she did. He at least cracked it. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't even touch it. Her, her neck's too powerful. What do you mean she's an she idiot? She had a thinner neck. Well, just the her... If she she knows that reality can't be trusted around it, like the, she should be trying bank shots or some long range. She play. is. I mean, she's trying all these great precautions. No, I think she she's goes not right an in the idiot. room. And I I like the general idea of what she's going for. That she she's... makes it stronger, and before she fucking turns that thing on it, well, and if the whole thing to... is like. She has she to lure it... it out. I mean, she has to sort of wake it up, I guess, by feeding. But what if it's just if she, if, once if it has the sheet over it. Like in the mo- in the basement, isn't it? Is that? Isn't that? Well, here, up? I mean, it's definitely fuzzy about the rules. And when you say right. she's an I- she's an idiot, I kind of want to disagree with you, like Dingus. But I, I don't think we're supposed I, to I think, think what, that. But I think what you're getting at, Kelly Wan, and here's where I would agree with I think the sentiment behind she's an idiot is that the movie just <laughs> goes ahead and subverts all of her careful right. planning. The movie, yeah. because it has no rules, because this is a right. supernatural, powerful entity, all these precautions she's taken. We kind of know none of it's going to matter because it's just going to fake us out with what's real, what's not real, who's going to see. And and by the time it's over, the movie's just going to end however it wants to end. There's yeah. there's never it, – it quickly establishes that the mirror can just do whatever the heck it wants and all of her cool planning. There, there isn't going to be any kind of showdown. It's just going to be the mirror jerking around and then someone's going right. to die and it's going to be over. So it's not so much that she's an idiot that the movie doesn't respect this cool concept of, of the showdown that gets uh, established early on. And yeah. I was kind of looking forward to that. I was like, oh yeah, how's the mirror going to subvert this and that? And it just cheats. And it just yeah. j- just shows us what it wants to. Which she should it. know. She should anticipate that. She doesn't know, though. She's trying... I mean, she's... This is Clock an experiment. Times. This is an experiment for her. Mm, she hasn't well. done this several times. She doesn't know. She was a child when it happened. She tracked this thing down. She brought it back. She brought her brother to, you know, exonerate their family and exonerate him. I mean, basically. And so she doesn't know, but she's trying all of these things, and she's done as well as she can. I mean, some of it's silly, certainly. Um, but, I mean, but... Tom's right. There's just there's just nothing 
that's particularly singular about this particular yeah. thing. There's no nothing that that is particular to a mirror that really makes yeah. it so creepy to be a mirror. And they don't even do the requisite at the end of it to have the mirror be somewhere else or or wind up in the wrong hands or something that would make us think that this will live on. Or why is it yeah, particular to this particular thing? And and why not? You know, I mean, Kelly, when you made that joke about putting a another mirror in front of it you know it just maybe I mean, why not just turn the mirror to the wall is that going to make a right. difference does is it just have to be in the room for it to have this r- radius of 30 feet or whatever the hell it can do uh, I, I again i don't know what the rules are either and it's for me i'm such an easy scare and i want it so much to for this movie to work because i think it if you go to a horror movie you might as well buy into it um and i was just trying so hard to be scared during it and it's just not that it's not really that scary there's no rules for it i don't know what what's going on uh it's just and the acting is bad too so yeah it doesn't build there's a certain point at which like she mistakes uh a light bulb for an apple and uh it's like that turns out not to be real, but wait, that one's not real. But it's setting up the thing with the shards. I don't know. Like, well, why isn't it, that part real? The movie can just keep going. <laughs> well, I, can't, I mean, it seems to be like this weird infinite loop. Um, and I did like some of what they were doing, like with the kid passing the passing the older person on the stairs, and and how time seemed to to somehow be grafted onto another time. I, I didn't know if 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 that was part of the rules or not, or if that, if that's just the filmmaker messing with us, um, and with their, with their brains. Cause you'd see like the, the, the little kid saying something to one of the older kid, one of the adults. So I, I don't know how time really works in this. And that's why I think it's a failure of editing as well. And, and the fact that they that she has this setup does make you dwell more on there being rules that maybe you're just not getting. Right. While as movies like the grudge, like, because the ring's kind of consistent with its rules, um, and it's about people who kind of get the rules still struggling against it, and it's like, the grudge is like, there are no rules, but it's not really about that. It's just about, <laughs> you're fucked no matter what you do. But in this, there's the implication that she's done some research on it, and she has yeah. a thing. So you go, oh, wait, if she does this, but then why wouldn't she try this then if she's thought of that? Because it seems like she's making a lot of bad calls, even as they happen. And like, she doesn't seem to be learning... As the night goes on, and again, I blame I blame the script on that. I don't yeah. think it's necessarily her yeah. fault. And and no, they, no, they no. do they do a great job establishing her as a character with that scene, and even just the intro with her ponytail swinging back and forth, like the <laughs> like way she's windshield walking. wipers. Yeah, no, yeah, she's walking pretty. with purpose, and that's a great character interact. That's a great character introduction. Is here's this girl's ponytail, and it's just yeah. swinging perfect rhythm, as because she's got so much purpose. I just yeah. love that little visual shot. And I liked all of her setup stuff, but I think the movie, the script just falls apart. Betrays her. The writer betrays yeah. that character. Um, and Tim has a great character introduction, too, because there's that moment at the beginning where they're like, okay, when it buzzes, just pull on the door. Oh, that. Okay. The moment we saw that guy, I was like, oh, God, really? I mean, I felt like it. Yeah, it really was like I, Alex Pettifer or something. Yeah, he looks like some, some, some mental patient. WTV show or something. Actually, yeah. the two of them together are just a little too pretty and young. That's and, and, yeah, that's, you know what, that's what sucks about horror movies now. They, there's no one, like, old like an alien. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're seeing the wrong horror movies, I would say. <laughs> really? It seems like every movie, it's it's teenagers. Well, not, I mean, remember The Conjuring? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, yeah. there, again, it, yeah. you're 
Kelly Wan said, that's why also, after watching this, I was pretty sure I thought I'd watch some PG-13 movie. Yeah. It did seem like just something cheap to get people in, give them a few scares, uh, safely antiseptic, um, you know, nothing too grotesque. And even the, the gore in this was, I mean, it was mainly like finger violence. Um, like, <laughs> and dental. Yeah, yeah dental stuff. I that's, thought maybe I might have missed something in that five minutes, though. Because it looked like it was like stuff was about to come out of her. Uh, no, they even, yeah, they don't do much with that. They don't really no. do much with that wound scene. Um, so, so yeah, even as sort of a, the gore scenes, like they were pretty safe from PG. You know what else is a You've got some pretty. A, I just thought of something. Sorry that um, I for, I didn't think about. It's like we never see what he's writing. But he's writing it in the mirror, so you think it would be an interesting... software engineer, though. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but it could be something interesting there. I think. I well, he's writing... And who's Marisol? Are we supposed to know? He's just writing the name of uh, the one of the mirror ghosts that I guess was... On the screen? She's the main, she's the main one that he's been having Mirror's an affair with. Is she one of them that, uh, that Karen Gillan introduces? Like, is she one of them that Karen Gillan she, talks about in I her exposition team? Because if you get eaten by the mirror, you're one of the ghosts, right? Right. right. At the end. Um, and what a great moment uh, at the end when I mean, this is really scary. Have a g- bunch of ghosts that open their mouths and and alarms go off uh, from their mouths. Well, really, that's scary. Uh, yeah, I thought it was freaky. Uh, yeah, I kind of like that. <laughs> dumb. I always think it's dumb when someone falls for the. Oh wait, it's my mob hugging me. Like, wait a minute. Do you remember what the where, who we're looking? <laughs> Because that happens in Nightmare on Elm Street, even. But at least it turns it, and it turns out like to be a cheat of that too. But it's like it's never the happy ghost in the mirror. <laughs> there, I said it. Uh, Davis, you said the acting was terrible in this. I I want to call out one exception. All right. I really liked the little girl. I thought she was really good, like oh, the younger yeah. version of she her. Was good, yeah. uh, her name was uh, Annalise Basso. Basso, I think I, I looked that up. But I thought she was good. It's, it's the sort of thing too where I'm, the movie's losing me, and I'm like, whatever. But that little girl, they had her do some kind of demanding stuff, and she was really giving it her all. She was like a very capable child actor. Um, I thought the little redheaded girl. No, I agree with you. I think her brother is horrible, though. I hate to say that about a kid actor. Oh, you're so mean, Dingus. Why would you? He's probably listening to this podcast, and now you made him cry. He's just whimpering, and it's just terrible. <laughs> uh, Karen Gillan, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Karen Gillan is Scottish. She's got a Kelly McDonald accent in real life. What do you think of that? Oh, and they thought, nope, not appropriate for this movie. We need you to talk American. Oh, why? <laughs> because the rest of the... See, what's... It was interesting to me in The Grudge, like the American one, because it's like, it's white people, but you, they're going over to Japan and getting bitched by Japanese ghosts, so they're, they're way out of their element. So in this, it would have been maybe cool to have, like, Scottish people getting I agree over about that, yeah. by American suburb ghosts. Uh, how, about, uh, how about Katie Sackhoff's arms? Mm. Uh, you know, you, you're her biggest... I thought you like her most. No, I didn't until I saw Riddick, and she's still got those Riddick arms going, going on in this movie. There's an early scene where she shrugs and holds her arms out and is like, if you want to unpack, that's fine. And I'm like, oh my god, look at those hot guns. She's, oh, she's muscular? She's think? in such awesome shape, yeah, I think. I don't but know. But she didn't think she was on Battlestar Galactica, but since Battlestar Galactica, she's become Starbuck. Um, I guess so. Saying? Yeah, I'm totally sold on her badassness. Uh well, they don't do, I mean, she's just kind of the, 
So maybe that seems like she's she's miscast because she's kind of the first to get. She's the first cast. I do think that it's incredibly ridiculous that moment where he mutters grotesque cow. And there is, and, and to a woman who's in incredible shape, you know, it would be a far braver choice to have a, a woman who's not like super hot and super cut. This idea that he's sowing this insecurity in her, that the mirror through the mirror, it's he's saying things to her. But it's so implausible that she's in, concerned about looking like a grotesque cow, yeah. for instance. Uh, so at that moment, I was like, yeah, I think I see what the script is trying to do, and it looks like the casting isn't quite pulling it off i thought it was it's it's using antiquated language because the mirrors from the 1750s and that's what you would call women well the mirror doesn't even do anything to distort her image really i mean they don't even mess around with that it's It's not a funhouse mirror yeah well it could it could do mirrors yeah that's a good point and all the the greater problem for for me is I don't believe any of the relationships in this movie. I don't believe that Rory Cochran is the, is those kids' dad. I don't th- I don't believe a moment that he says anything to them. I don't believe that he would ever be married to her or that they have ever had a relationship. I don't even believe that those kids had that dog. That dog that they're looking at and they're like, there's oh, yeah. something wrong with Mason. What's it was wrong almost with- like like they shot second unit footage of a dog and then edited it into the movie. <laughs> it really was like that. I mean, these kids are looking at this dog on the floor and they're like, there's something wrong with the dog. <laughs> are you guys going to put a dog in here at some point? I mean, I didn't believe any relationship in this movie at all. I mean, a little bit I I believed uh, uh, the girl from Doctor Who and, and Brandon and Brenton. Ah, I just says that Karen Gillan is from Doctor Who. Um, but they're all... And Brenda Thwaites is in a movie this year, too, called The Signal, uh, which I'm curious about just because the title is a cool title because we've already seen a movie about that. Um, uh, the Signal, though, is by – yeah, I don't – if you've seen the, the director, this is a guy's second movie. If you've seen his first movie, it's called Love, and it's about um, astronauts and Civil War uh, soldiers. Uh, I, I don't think you'd be looking forward to this what? quite as much. I know, yeah. <laughs> That's your usual making it sound good, even though you're not trying <laughs> All right. to. Anyway, I don't believe a thing about this movie other than Brenton Thwaites taking that dog and letting it out. I don't believe any of the relationships in this movie. How about um, so that that yeah, I guess the the fiance. Let me think. No, I don't believe them at all. <laughs> I, you know, Annalise Baso was selling it. She was making it work that she was trying to look out for uh, her relationship to the movie. How's that, Dingus? <laughs> what about them not going, hey, neighbor, look at his hand in the doorway? <laughs> Again, finger violence. The, the credits, by the way, did have... A finger angler? No, they listed fingernail specialist. Ah. Yep, in the credits. Very nice. Was there a golf club specialist as well? Uh, yeah, was that, was that... Should they have used... Do you think they should have used a three iron instead, Dingus? <laughs> I think they could have had more wood. One, two, three, not only you and me. Got one lady that's three, and I'm caught in between. Count one, two, three, beat up on my free. Getting down with three, the feet of it. I had one in the chamber. <laughs> what did you have in the chamber, Kelly Wan? I had two different ones. One was fingernail specialist uh, with a happy ending, and the other one was no teeth. Good sometimes. Oh, the you're you're referencing Legion with uh, Lucas Shark Black, King. right? Yeah. yeah, he's my Taylor Kitsch. Oh, 
At least this generation's. Um... Yeah, I'm telling you, you guys see Lone Survivor, you won't be making fun of Taylor Kitsch anymore. Wait. The, what's the Hercules kid's name? Kellen Lett. Kellen Lett. Kellen and then the girl in Oculus' name is Karen. And Elise Peso. Oh, the... Oh, oh Karen Gillen is Scottish. the older Scottish. The, yeah, the older uh, girl. Uh, what's two, so two things that um, Oculus has in common with Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. I already mentioned first that a dog just goes missing. We don't find out what happened to the dog. What's one other thing that it has in common with Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit? Kevin Costner. Wait. <laughs> Kevin Costner was in Oculus. Man, I missed that part. Yeah, me too. He was the cop. Do you guys remember how um, uh, Kenneth Branagh was going to torture uh, Who's the oh, uh, Kira Knightley? In this movie? No, in, in Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was going to... Uh, what was he going oh, to yeah, do? with a light bulb. He's going to make her Wait. eat a light bulb. Yeah. See? Sorry. He's just like a mirror. Russians. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> mirror sees you. Uh, speaking of uh, mirrors with creepy frames... Oh! Genghis uh, versus week 3x3. Three three. Speaking of glass <laughs> devices... Uh, thank you. That'll be all. Uh, these are your favorite framing devices. Ah. Um, I, the example I gave last week was uh, Derek Jacoby playing the chorus in Henry V, which I used for Not last week's. Not a movie. Uh, I'm talking about the play. Derek Jacoby was in a play I saw. Um, and how he runs, how he comes in and lights this match and says, oh, for a muse of fire, and then gives this knowing, then throws on the stage lights and gives this knowing look. And how he shows up from time to time, and then he closes the stage doors at the end. So that's, He gives a knowing look after ignition. No, right. he does. It's it's right. very much this sort of like, all right, you know what we're up to. We're doing a play. Come on, let's go along with this. Um, right. So I love that that framing device, but there's there's plenty of others. So that because that right. that's also that, not so. from a movie. That's in the play. So that that's off the table for a couple of reasons. It's one not. one of which is not a movie because <laughs> uh, it's a documentary. That's what actually happened. I want to back up real quick here, Dingus. Why on earth do you know that Karen Gillan is from Doctor Who? No, I just looked her up. I've never seen Doctor Who, but I just looked her up. Kelly, should we believe him? Mm, I, had to, I had to wonder why is this woman the basically the the one of the lead actresses in this in this movie? I could not figure out how these people land in this. I mean, Katie Sackhoff and Roy Cochran—they've got names. Uh, kids are kids, but why are these middle people in there? Why are they here? It's definitely a Karen Gillan view. Like you can tell, it's supposed to be like a breakout. Kind of breakout, but you can tell they're definitely putting a lot on her. Like a lot is riding on her, right? Like they didn't just pull her from. You know, she hadn't done like one movie or something. Um, so, so many Doctor Who's Peter Capaldi. Did you know that? Oh no, I, I know. I hope he cusses a lot. Uh, yeah, as befits uh, Malcolm. Bucky who? <laughs> uh, so who is she in Doctor Who? Is she like the Doctor's sidekick? Like because doesn't yeah. the Doctor always have like a chick sidekick? Yeah. Is and the fun. Doctor being the Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who? There's a once. It's weird. He just he dies and then he's reborn. No, right. Uh, I know that. But but Karen Gillan is is she? I'm just curious who she's paired with. Um, uh, Peter Cushing, I think. Oh, Kelly, that's so disrespectful. Thanks. So what? so disrespectful. He was a Doctor Who. He was like the first one. Are you serious? Yeah. And oh. it was in a movie theater. Wait a minute. Peter Cushing played Doctor Who. 
Wasn't he Dingus? I have no idea. Why would you even ask me Coming that? Line, if that's not true, that's a very cruel thing to tease me with, because that makes I... me think Doctor Who is kind of awesome. Doctor Who is kind of awesome. I, don't, I haven't watched it since the 70s. Right. But I remember thinking it was really fast-paced. Like, there's a lot going on. Like, well, shit's going crazy. Peter Cushing is Doctor... Man, if that's not a true thing, Kelly Wan, I don't want to know. I he also can't I wanna... fight Doctor Who. He, he's only got, like, a screwdriver as a weapon. A sonic screwdriver that's, like, a fucking tire gauge. Yeah, and he has no well, fighting making, Yeah, you're making me lose interest now. What? Sonic, no. Sonic, what sonic screwdriver. Sonic screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a character who can't fight being awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like Mario. He's like a plumber. Jeff. He's got a he's got a plumber's wrench. No, fights. That's not, awesome. that's not diff- that's uh, all right. Anyway, framing <laughs> devices. I'm outraged. Oh, I just Darn. outraged. Doctor uh, Who. Framing no name. Kelly, one, you're introducing next week's three by three. So why don't you start us off with your number three favorite framing device? My number three framing device, which I'm I predict is on one of yours. Because I think it's the most famous. Maybe uh, Tom's probably going to say it's not a framing device. Stand by, you're probably right. Because <laughs> I've got okay. I've got a couple of disclaimers about what is and is not a framing device that I need. Okay, to I'll do a quote. Yeah, guess the movie. <clears throat> My sleigh. <laughs> All right, here's the deal. Might be paraphrasing. A framing device is not the same. I mean, you guys can do whatever you want with it. Oh, uh, good. So, Kelly has picked Citizen Kane as the framing device. Oh, there. yeah, that one too. Um, actually, I don't know. Maybe it is because I don't know Citizen Kane. But a framing device is it's, there's a difference between a framing device and a reveal, or a framing device and a nonlinear narrative. Oh, it starts with him saying it, so it's a framing device, and you at the end you. Framing device it. to me is a story within a story, like it's something that exists separately right. outside of the actual action, like the narrator of Henry V. Um, I'll be bringing up a few examples of this. Kelly well, Ron. that's certainly true. Of, of is, is yours, Kel- is Citizen Kane certainly is one, because it's, oh, it's, it is? it's Joseph Cotton being yes. interviewed. He's being interviewed. What? Who's Joseph Cotton? What does he have to do with it? He's in the movie as the dude. He's not Citizen Kane. He's like his, his white friend. I thought Citizen Kane is about um, Lauren, or no, um, Randolph Hearst. Orson Welles. Orson Welles dies, and on his deathbed, he's pining for someone called Rosebud. And you're like, who's Rosebud? Just to clarify, you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> you haven't seen the movie, but you're sure I'm wrong. It's not a movie. I just want to make sure. But you haven't seen Citizen Kane, but you're doing a movie podcast, and you don't, you're certain I'm wrong. I know everything I need to know about it. It's a slow black and white movie where you find out that, oh, it's not a chick or whatever. It's his sled from his boyhood, and it represents, like, a dying man idealizing his childhood or whatever. But it's uh, also right. a vagina joke. <laughs> what? It is. But, to, fi- but to, to find that out, uh, somebody goes to interview, uh, what's Joseph Cotton's uh, character name? Harry it's Jedediah or something. Uh, they, he's being interviewed, and it's basically him telling the story. I mean, it, that's... that's okay, what fair enough. So it's basically like Life of Pi. Yeah. What? what? Actually, hold well, on. I'm going to change my list. But with less brain drilling. It's like the Lord no, of the Rings. Not life, not pop. 
It's like uh, the Star Wars crawl. That's a, that's a framing device. All right, in that case, I stand corrected on Citizen Kane if it is a framing device. Like, for instance, Fight Club. Not a framing device. When you, when you start with the end of the movie and then have a flashback, not a, a flash. framing device. Right. Right. That's right. different. Memento, not a framing device. It's a shuffle. Citizen narrative. Kane, I think, is different. I think. All right. Well, maybe I should see that movie sometime. So is that is your number good? three, Kelly? Yeah. All right. Is Citizen Kane good? Should I see it? It's stony. I'm afraid the horses left the barn on that one. Okay, so that said, my whole thing about framing... English patient, not a framing device. Well, because it's equal time there. But what if it had been only at the beginning and the end? Then would you go outside of frame? Frame, it's a separate story. It's memory. Uh, framing device. Here's what about... Let me give you an example of a framing device, Kelly You ready for this? No, yeah. not a framing device. It's, a, it's the future. It's, it's, a, it's a guy remembering something. The punch. Um, uh, oh, is Titanic a framing device? Yeah, Titanic. Yeah. There you go. Old lady throwing something in the water. Framing device. Of course it is, because it starts with the documentary. It starts with a a, a sub going down to find right. this thing. Kelly Wan, is that one of your picks? Have we have we yeah. scooped? Let's just keep throwing out titles until we come up with all of them that we're <laughs> going to have. So here's one of my favorites. Uh, I wasn't crazy about this movie, and this guy has done uh. this kind of... This guy has done this kind of framing device before. I think it's really good here. As a matter of fact, the framing device is better than the actual movie. In Grand Budapest Hotel, it's like a larger version of what Wes Anderson does with Royal Tenenbaums, where it's like a book, and Alex Baldwin is, is reading it. Uh, and that's the framing device. Kind of Alex. Yeah, Alex Baldwin <laughs> uh, is, is reading it. That's, that's my number two, by the way. Royal oh, Tenenbaums? God. Yeah, Royal Tenenbaums. Oh. Well, I think Grand Budapest Hotel does it one better because there are about four nested layers of framing devices within framing devices. And it's really kind of cute and mm. playful. Now, the, the story that it eventually drills down to, uh, I don't feel like uh, it, it doesn't have the affection that Wes Anderson normally has for his stories, you don't see that in the story that it eventually gets down to. But the little layers uh, are really adorable. And my favorite one is the second layer of... Uh, the, the first layer is a schoolgirl in Eastern Europe in front of a, a bust, a, a statue in a public square of a renowned writer. And she walks up to it, and she looks at it, and she pulls a book out of her uh, book bag, and obviously this is a writer that she knows, that she loves, and she opens the book. And this book then is the next layer, and this isn't even bound to the movie proper, is Tom Wilkinson basically introducing the movie while his rambunctious son is playing around in the next room and he's distracted. And I just love that little bit of Tom Wilkinson trying to be all proper and he's an author introducing this story and there's a little kid running around in the next room bothering him. It's just an awesome, adorable touch and it's my favorite part of Grand Buda- one of my favorite parts of Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, and it's a framing device and as the rest of the movie went on, I was kind of like, I want to go back to that, that cute little framing device with Tom Wilkinson. Hmm. So there's my number three. Dingus, uh, tell us more about your number two pick now that that's out of the bag. Uh, immediately after making the statement, Royal realized it was true. Uh, I love the – I mainly I love the visual aspect of it. And I, I don't know from what you're talking about um, – because I think he does that a lot in his movies. He does it in particular with uh, Life Aquatic um, in making sort of a documentary. And he does it somewhat, I don't know if you would consider this for Moonrise Kingdom with the Bob Balaban character, if that constitutes a framing device. But but for me, just the visual of the way the movie starts and the book is there and it 
and the hands turn it around and open it and the chapter segments and the way that the narrator is introducing them and talking about them as this is the 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 device is that uh we are presenting this family the royal tenenbaums as the book of this family um and i love the way that that sort of is laid out visually more than anything. I mean, I also love Alec Baldwin's voice uh, in in the in the narrator part, but mainly I just love that opening visual of the of the book turning, opening, and and we're going into the movie through this book. Does Rushmore have anything like that? Uh, well, Rushmore kind of goes through this whole like yearbook kind of. Device. I wouldn't call it necessarily a framing device. So. What about bottle rocket? Um, that's something else. <laughs> uh, Dingus, well, what's your number three pick? If that's your number two, what's one that's not quite as good as Royal Tenenbaums? Uh, number three would be. Let's see if I can uh, think up a quote for you guys from it. Um, I was twelve, going on thirteen, the first time I saw a dead human being. Oh, good Lord. Did you just do Stand By Me? Yeah, you bet I did. Oh, so this is Lord. the first time I remember uh, going, and this is one of the first movies I ever wrote a review about, um, or a review of. This is 1987. I was in high school when this came out, obviously. And um, and I just remember that that sense, and I didn't, I don't think I'd seen this before before going to see Stand By Me in a theater. And I hadn't read The Body, the short story that it's based on. Um, so I didn't know if, I don't, and to this day, I guess I don't know if that conceit exists in the novel, in the novella. I guess it does. No. Um, I don't think so. It doesn't? I think so. But, but it just was, I don't I don't know if I can, how I can describe it. It was so pleasing to me um, to sit there and, and if you watch TV at that time you would see Doogie Howser doing this in every single episode of Doogie Howser MD but this writer sort of sitting at a keyboard and writing out this story because of a, a huge event that happens in his life that that is reading the newspaper clipping of one of his best friends dying and then flashing back basically to um that that friend's life and and their lives together and why that that time in his life was so important. Um, there are things I didn't buy into the the writer making statements like uh, I, you know I never again had friends like I did when I was twelve. But Jesus, who does? And I, I was in high school at the time. I was like I I do. <laughs> I have plenty of friends that are better than the friends I had when I was twelve. Um, but I nevertheless liked that that image of then I think it was Richard Dreyfus who played the narrator of him just sitting in his Jeep Cherokee if it was that on this dirt road and going through this story in his head and presenting it as a writer telling a story um, and us plunging into the story through him remembering it and uh, and so that framing device of the way Stand By Me runs from the beginning to the end um, when the narrator dips in and then when you see him at the end I, I I'm I'm nuts about that movie, but but that's the first time I remember being exposed to it. That John Malkovich is but isn't there something like Stand by Me where John Malkovich is the narrator? What am I thinking of? Uh, Dangerously Liaisons. Yeah, I don't think so. 
You write celebrity. So Richard Dreyfus is the narrator in Stand By Me? I think so. I didn't yeah. look it up again, but I'm almost certain yeah. it's Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, it is. I remember. He's sitting he in his truck. This, yeah, is stuff. it like Piranha, where he's playing the same character from Jaws? It is. It's a lot like that. He has weird makeup on. It's kind of freaky. Who knew uh, Jeremy Connell would be the sex symbol of them? <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Kelly Wan, what's your number two favorite <laughs> framing device in a movie? Did you say that because you hate Joe Hill, and so any reference to Stand By Me? Uh, I don't hate Joe Hill. Why would I hate Joe? Are you talking about Stephen King's son, Joe Hill? Yeah. Why would I hate Joe Hill? Because I made you read that story by him. These hoes don't. I liked one of the stories you had me read by Joe Hill, and I didn't care for a couple of them, but I don't hate him. I don't even know the guy. Oh. Uh, I think his his dad is a doofus. (laughs) Your dad is a doofus. What is your number two favorite framing device from a movie, though? We don't want to talk about comic book writer Joe Hill, the author of Lock and Key. Uh, I'll do a uh, quote. Wait, that's not what I sent you to read. Wait, I mailed you to read. I mailed the thing to you. I didn't mail you to it. Wait. Prepositions are important. Yes. My number two framing device in a motion picture is... I'll do a quote. <clears throat> Kaiser Soze, what? No. It's my number two. Quit ah. I mean, how can you not bring this up, though? It's it's just... Uh, I was you were going to say it wasn't a framing device, because... Of course it is. It's a... It's a this, it, as a matter of fact, uh, I don't... It's a, it's the the entire movie. It's it's the classic unreliable narrator yeah. because the the reveal is the entire movie has just been a story that this guy has been telling someone else that we have been watching. Um, so yeah, the it's sense. right. It matters heavily too. It's all that matters. It's all that we yeah. know. Like we, Chaz Palminteri does give you some basic facts, but everything that you watch is just stuff that Verbal Kent slash Kaiser Soze has been telling him. Uh, and nothing in it is reliable. It's, yeah, so the framing device is the only thing we know for sure. It's also without the framing device, the movie's kind of not that good. Because you're kind of going, what? Who cares? What really? character? Fuck it. Well, I mean, just picture it without it. I don't know. I kind of enjoy whatever the heck Benicio Del Toro is doing. I think it's, it's kind of... <laughs> what, what the fuck? It's kind of a... It's kind of sleek and sexy, and usual suspects mm-hmm. shot pretty well, and... And there's like this mystery and this whole the whole early yeah, but, part too, the whole early intro of this Kaiser Soze figure. I think that stuff is kind of iconic, Kelly Wand. Right, but without the payoff and it had just been a bunch of disjointed remembrances. Like if it had been and if they just go, Oh, it's that dude and then he gets fished out of the water, you wouldn't have been as <laughs> So you're saying right, if the ending hadn't been as good, the end, then usual suspects wouldn't have no been. No one ever agreed. You don't remember any other scenes from the movie. Like tell yeah. me. What- Oswald was a fag. Like that's kind of that's 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 uh, one of the the pinnacles of the Baldwin acting career as a dynasty. <laughs> that, that's it's also the dumb Baldwin too. It is, isn't it? The yeah. ugly dumb one. Um, and it's before like everybody knew that Benicio del Toro was awesome. It's kind of like yeah. what's this Baldwin doing? And and I mean, surely anybody who appreciates Gabriel Byrne and Miller's Crossing can enjoy him playing super cool and Usual Suspects. It's. I, I think it's before people knew what a powerhouse Kevin Spacey was. Right. Um, That's no, I, I, I mean, I agree that it makes the movie, but I still think Usual Suspects is a, is a pretty well-done uh, crime caper. I think it's like Crying Game, 
Or if it hadn't been for that one thing. Oh, Crane Game is good, too. Come on. Seriously? Uh, mm, is it, though? Yeah, I do. Is it great, or is it like... No, nah, it's classic yeah. Neil Jordan. I, know that, I think Neil Jordan has probably not done a movie as good as Crane Game. Uh, no, wait. Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> interview with the Vampire. <laughs> yeah, in rest of the case. <laughs> is that a framing device? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's an interview. <laughs> it is. With what? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's my new number two, then. Interview with the Vampire. All right, I'll take Usual Suspects as my number two pick. Yeah. That's your number two, huh? Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, there's only one I can think of that's better. Mm. Uh, that oh, I, bet I, be, I bet my number one beats your number one. No, no way. You'll see. I Citizen Kane, but my number one's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dingus's number two is Royal Tenenbaum, so Kelly Wan, we're back to you. What is your favorite framing device in a movie? Ugh. Uh, I didn't think I'd, you guys would get to me this soon, so I was going to do a quote, but now I don't remember any. Okay, so I'll just make some. Okay, go ahead. Once. Usually I know the movie backwards and forwards. I know. But in this instance, I'll have to use my acting to convey why I picked something instead of my mind. Ready? Uh, uh, why isn't she in charge? Wait, they said in another room. Wait, what? Okay, actor. Yeah, but that's not the movie. <laughs> and it's not a quote from the movie either. So, go ahead. Uh, basically, any Bill Paxton quote would have done. Why don't you put her in charge? Does yeah, that, that is. So you're telling us it's a Bill Paxton movie. Obviously, yeah. it's frailty. Yeah. Come on, that's a great... I, didn't, I was actually making a joke. I, do, I wasn't aware there was a framing device in Yeah, what's the framing device? It's just a reveal. It's McConaughey. No, no, but the guy's talking about it. Because this is McConaughey, the grown-up, one of the boys grown-up or something? Right, it's the other one. Is it a confession? I don't remember this. I just remember getting annoyed mm, by the whole... It, you think it's his confession, but it turns out he's playing the other dude. And, so uh, it's like Usual Suspects. Yeah. It's like, a, oh, that guy's that guy. Mm, interesting. <laughs> okay. But it's also, it makes you have to reevaluate the whole movie, because it's like him, them as kids. Um... But then, it's not what you think. See? Hmm. Okay, I'll accept that. I mean, I'll, uh, who, who directed Frailty, by the way? Anyone of note? Paxton. Bill Paxton. Yeah. Bill Paxton directed Frailty. Yeah, yeah. he was a directorial. No. no, I didn't ask who's the actor in it. Who directed it? <laughs> Bill Paxton directed Frailty. Yeah. yeah. See, it's is genius. that the only movie he's directed? Um, that's weird. Okay, well, I good think for so. Him. Yeah, it was like a labor of love for him. Oh, and isn't that is that from? Oh God, please tell me it's not from a Stephen King short story. He directed English Patient. Those were his only two movies. Is Frailty from a Stephen King story? Oh, no. no. Okay. How would you think that? I don't know. I was just worried because because you jokers like yeah. it. Do you, do you remember the name of the axe? Oh. Slash Spider. Or Christ. Needle. Um, it was named after an elevator. It's named what? after an elevator? Otis. Yeah, Very true. It's Otis. Oh, I made that up. See, I didn't even remember that from the movie. I just knew that from my own smarts. Yeah, they named uh, they named the axe Otis. After an elevator? What? I don't know. They named an elevator after an axe? Well, please tell me he didn't write Frailty. That's something like Fireman would do. <laughs> I don't know who wrote Frailty. All right. It just wrote itself. It's a documentary. 
<laughs> the demons wrote it. That's, yeah. that's the reveal. Texas before he became an actor. And- so it is a Bill Paxton movie. I can confirm that. And it was written by a guy who it's pretty much all he has to his credit. He did some short movie in 2007. He wrote one of the Masters of Horror things on Church. I liked a couple of them. Uh, a Masters of Horror, an episode called Family, which I don't remember. Uh, well, what's his name? Oh, sorry. His name is Brett Hanley. He uh, and uh, yeah, so he wrote Frailty and an episode of Masters of Horror and a short film, and that's all he's got. One which I remember liking. You remember liking what? Axes in it, I think. What were they named? <laughs> okay. All right, here's a quote from my number one pick. Ready for this? Mm-hmm. My favorite framing device of all time. <clears throat> In October of 1994, three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, <laughs> shooting a documentary. That's a year, not... a year later, their footage was found. <laughs> so that's the entire... That is the entire framing device in Blair Witch Project. Um, which, um. so, this surprised me. I knew that there were other kind of pretenders this idea. So a year later, their footage was found. I mean, that that right there is where found footage as a concept is invented. But you will have people argue, incorrectly, that there, that found footage movies actually started earlier with something called uh, – there's a movie called The Last Broadcast. Um, totally not found footage. As a matter of fact, if you watch that whole movie, it, it becomes kind of a, a bit of a lark. Like it's a, it's a kind of a joke, this idea that it's real footage. And it, it reveals something very different and it sort of screws up the idea that this is found footage. Last broadcast, not found footage. There's a really cool uh, made-for-TV BBC production called Ghost Watch, which is actually very good, but it's not found footage. It's a, a mockumentary, which is different. Um, the idea of found footage is that this is footage that was shot and then found and was lost and found and something terrible happened to the people who made it um, or that we somehow just found the footage. You know, Ghost Watch was actually aired. It was a, it was a fake documentary, uh, last broadcast, an actual movie. So I, I, I feel that this, this, this framing device, that here is footage that something terrible happened to the filmmakers, and now we're seeing the, the footage. Uh, this framing device is so important to the future of horror, and actually some filmmaking beyond horror, but mostly horror. Um, this idea that, that you don't need someone to survive to tell the tale, because you can instead just find their footage. The camera that came along with them, you can use that to discover what happened to them. So what you're looking at is... You know, it's not edited, it's not narrated, there shouldn't be music on it. You know, it's always stupid to me in a found footage movie, like uh, Last Exorcism, for instance, where there's a score. You know, who made the music for this? That's ridiculous. Um, so Wait, I, in what movie? Has so, and so in Last Exorcism, which oh, is a oh, yeah, yeah, found yeah. footage movie, there's a, there's music, and then when there's a jump scare, there's a musical cue and stuff. And if it's found footage, someone edited all of that in there, and that's ridiculous. Um, but here's one thing I discovered. So that, that's my favorite framing device, is what it does to a movie. And I actually remember before seeing Blair Witch Project, like a year or so before it came out, a friend of mine telling me uh, that she'd heard about this movie, about these kids that went missing. And actually, she didn't even talk about it as a movie. She said she heard there was footage from these kids that went missing. And, and they actually were passing around tapes. Like there was this kind of pre-viral marketing, uh. viral marketing for Blair Witch Project. 
where they would pass out tapes, and you it was just the tape of the movie. So your friends are plants working for independent. Well, no, she had uh, she had you know it's here in L.A. I mean, she had someone I think had told her about it. It's it was like playing telephone. It, exactly, it was that sort of thing. Like they'd gotten the word out. So I heard about Blair Witch Project as if it was actual footage before it was released in the theater. At which point, you know, the, well, ninety nine internet was way more primitive too. So. Well, here, so here's well, why I heard about it that too, and that's why I've been loath to watch it because I feel like the cat's out of the bag, and I thought that was the whole point of Blair Witch is uh, thinking that it was real. No, I mean there are other reasons to watch it. I mean, just like any found footage, once once you're in on the framing device, it can still work as a, as a good story. And once you it, see Hump Day, and one of the things that's important about Blair Witch Project, so so here's what I found out this week. I did not know this. Um, Blair Witch Project. Absolutely not the first found footage movie, especially if you use the pure definition of it that I'm talking about. So I, I recently watched um, a, a movie, a found footage movie called Alien Abduction that I heard the, the director on this stupid like late night uh, paranormal talk show. He was he was plugging it. Uh, so I watched Alien Abduction, a found footage movie. It's terrible. Um, Just bored around the house one night. <laughs> So it so one of the one of the things that you have to do in found footage you have to explain why the character is carrying a camera and not dropping it and running away and no, why he's, why he's actually using it to to film stuff. So in Alien Abduction, this this movie just what came year out. is that? Alien Abduction is this year. It just came out. Oh. It the the reason for the found footage is because it's a family that gets chased by aliens. It's bad. It's terrible. Uh, but the kid <laughs> with the camera. Uh, they explain that he he's an autistic child and he he's really connecting to the camera like the camera is kind of a security blanket for him so while these aliens are chasing them because he's a little autistic boy he doesn't want to let go of the camera so that's their whole conceit there uh, that's what <laughs> autism does too yeah. you want to film aliens so if we if we think of hud as being autistic it's much easier yeah. and, and wait is it suck cuz i like the alien abduction thing in vhs too I think well, I, uh, I actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. So, uh, yeah, it sucks. What it, one thing that it does do, though, is early on, it they actually drop a camera from a a, a, a weather balloon or something. So, and when they use that in a sequence where early on, like the opening shot of alien abduction, is the camera being carried around by an alien. You can see it's launchers uh. over the lens inside the ship and you get a glimpse uh, you can't really see it you can like hear it. people being experimented on and uh, it's carrying the camera it. down this corridor in a ship and it opens a hatch and chucks the camera out of it <laughs> and then we see the camera falling from like super high in the atmosphere it's like skydive camera. <laughs> the camera landed unharmed it, no it, it, well it lands and then there's cracked glass on it and then we don't even <laughs> That's kind of good. What? It's very good, but there's nothing else in the movie that lives up to that. Is it? So that's the only thing you see in the ship in the whole movie? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, what I'm, sucks about these movies. Dude, we got to write an alien abduction where it's like the whole abduction. Like the well, whole... It well, owns uh, fire. No, no, you're right. So what happens is they, the aliens chase them around in the woods a lot. There's a really gruesome effect where, uh, you know, you see the effect where people get pulled up in a beam of light. And in this movie, there's, there's a really gruesome effect where before the people get pulled up, they get like cracked in half, which is kind of, it's, it's gruesome. Or they're trying to not. It's by the light or the power of the beam or something. They like briefly hover in the, up in the air and then they get cracked in half and sucked up into the sky. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's another experiment. I guess so. Um, but what happens is they're getting chased around in the woods, and the family members start falling off, and it's just down to the little kid with his camera, and then he 
you'd see the camera. It's just basically the the shot where they drop the camera, but they they show it in reverse. The camera like shoots up into the sky, and then turns off. So the only glimpse uh-huh. you get then, and then it, by the way, and it shows you again in case you forgot the whole sequence of the alien carrying the camera to the UFO trash and throwing it out. Why is it throwing it out? It doesn't want it. You, it, it, it's, you if think, I was an alien, I'd well, want. It's kind of stupid because he's throwing out evidence of right. abduction. Yeah. Um, but so here is what I found. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Alien, it's doing that, and it's throwing away stuff that it might need for its experiments. You would think. Right. But go on. Sorry. So, so yes. alien abduction. The, the name of this movie is Alien Abduction. There was, uh, and there's a little. I, I was a little confused when I was looking this up when I heard the director talking about it. It's like, okay, I'll watch this dopey found footage movie because there was a movie made in um, 1989, which predates Blair Witch Project by, I guess, two years. When no. Wait, when is 89? Blair Witch is 1999. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, yeah. so there was a movie made in uh, in 99, the same year as Blair Witch Project, a, a made-for-TV movie called Alien Abduction Incident at Lake County. <laughs> and it is literally a it's, – it's a found footage movie of people having uh, – it's a Thanksgiving dinner. And they're in their house, and they're they're obviously not actors. I mean, this was actually made for I think the the uh, UPN United or was it Paramount Network, whatever that is. For UPN, it was made for TV, and these people are having Thanksgiving dinner, and they see a light outside the window, and you know one of them's testing out, hey, I got my new video camera on, uh, and so they <laughs> go out to see what the light is, and it's very poor, shaky footage of people in latex masks. You know, moving in and out of what looks like it's supposed to be an alien, a, a landed spaceship, and you can tell they had no budget to do this, so it just looks terrible. And they, the people filming it, freak out and they run back to the house, and then the house gets under siege by these aliens. And they don't do any special effects; it's all just the lights being out. And at one point, one of them goes out and shoots the alien, and they bring in this terrible-looking. It's like it's like a kid in a latex mask, and they put him in one of the rooms, and uh, and then at the end. The aliens come in and hypnotize them and kidnap them. So at the end, the mother finally says, put down that camera. You know, that always happens in a found footage movie. Stop filming, you know, yeah. leave that camera alone. So Let's the try mother, to escape. To the <laughs> right. Well, the mother finally says, put down the camera. So the guy puts the camera down on a table, and they go sit down to eat, and the camera starts getting uh, fuzzy. And you see these aliens walking into the frame and literally waving their hands to hypnotize the people. And the people, uh, like, shut up and stop talking, and they walk out. And then one alien waves his hand at the camera, and it turns So this was the same year as Blair Witch Project. And it's mm-hmm. completely found footage, by the way. It opens with a title card that, uh, that says something like, yeah, this really happened. And then after the movie, they say, if you have seen the whereabouts of these people, and it shows pictures of all the actors, please contact the producers at this phone number. And then the phone number is a 1-800-555. they got to get rid of that shit. But here's the thing. This was the <laughs> same year as Blair Witch Project, but it is a remake of something that the director, a fellow named Dean Aliado, Aliotto, had done 10 years ago. In mm. 1989, he made a movie called UFO Abduction. This was 10 years before Blair Witch Project, and it was the same thing that he remade for UPN 10 years later. And it's super primitive. Like, if you think that the incident at Lake County remake is primitive, this thing he did, it was clearly all done in, like, on one of those hand, like, with a big old VHS cassette. There's no editing or anything post. It's all one take. The actors are terrible. 
Um, he did this ten years before Blair Witch Project, um, and it's completely purely found footage. You know, it's not a mockumentary. There's no fake out at the end, but it's an actual found footage movie. Um, and it's terrible, by the way. It's it's an it's an hour long, uh, and here's where he screws it up. Uh, it has the title card. Then it has at the end, after the aliens come in and uh, disable the camera and kidnap the people, then it has at the end, uh, the same thing in the original one from 1989, if you've seen these people, please contact the producers. Then what it does is it has the credits that list the cast. Alien number one. No, literally, Kelly Wan, there's alien number one, two, and three. You know, you have the names of the characters and the actors' names. Really? One of the things that Blair Witch Project did is it used the actual actors' names. Like, uh, not Amanda Donahue, uh, Heather... And then they kept them on, on ice, kind of, too. Like, don't show yeah, yourself. Right. I mean, yeah, that was part of their, their little yeah. gimmick. Uh, but it, it, was, uh, it was Josh and uh, Heather and... What's the other one in Blair Witch Project? One who kicks the map in the fuck creek. Yeah, Sean? the the one who has gotten the least amount of... Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so they used their real names, yeah. and I don't think Blair Witch Project didn't have credits at the end. Like, they completely went through with this right. framing device of found footage, uh, even though they were 10 years after UFO abduction from 1989. The UFO guy should have made one in 2009, like, just every 10 years. I gotta imagine the guy's, like, s- somewhere just, like, he's, he's gotta be pissed. Like, the Blair Witch Project oh, out, like, gangbusters, and this guy had the same idea. Yeah, the same year, it is annoying. Well, but he's on fault for doing year, the- ten years before, ten years before in 1989. So if you Google this, it's called UFO abduction. You can watch it online, although I don't necessarily recommend it. Uh, and his name is Dean Alioto. That's A L I O T O. So uh, Google it, and you you can find it online. It's a 60 minute found footage movie that predated Blair Witch Project uh, by ten years. I was gonna say that uh, a movie I know you don't like, although I like it which was the first time I ever saw like a fake, this really happened even mm-hmm. though none of it happened, was Texas Chainsaw in 74 like it opens with, this is a tragedy da 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 da, but then nothing in no, the movies no, no, but that's more like a based on a, that's more like that based on a true story disclaimer, like there's no, it's no idea that it's found footage, it's supposed to be like a dramatization of something, that yeah, yeah, but I hadn't even seen that in any, I can't think of any other movie before that, or after it wait Oh, that's a fair part. point. Right, right. This, uh, come on, there's got to be something. Like, like there's no Hitch- Hitchcock didn't go, by the way, uh, Ed Gein. Uh, uh, anyway, here we go. Yeah, you might be right. Is that a Texas Chainsaw? Like, like, well, yeah. Innovation from, is that something that we can thank Toby Hooper for? Like, does Fargo owe that debt to Toby Hooper? Yeah, it does. <laughs> All right. Agreed. Wall Chainsaw, Wood Chipper. Yeah. No what? Dingus, no, what is your favorite framing device? I want to see all the alien abductions now. Oh, so don't, they're so terrible. The fire in the sky one isn't found footage, but I think that's the best. Well, I know, and that's what I was. That's what would be. That you mentioned that, Kelly. One. That's what would be really cool with an alien abduction found footage movie is actually having the camera go up yes. into the, the like right. horrors of what happens after the abduction. That's the fun part. We have. Yeah. We've seen the fun part. Let's yeah. teleport back in time and get Richard Dreyfuss a a, a phone, uh, like a like an iPhone. Well, there is the director's cut where we see the inside of the mothership in Close Encounters, Dingus. Yeah, but I want the whole thing. You know, all the stuff they have to do where they're giving him scrubs and all the things that they're doing. <laughs> see, that's the thing. Nobody liked that. And Fire in the Sky, it was like they made the the studio made the writer do that stuff, even though it wasn't anything that happened in the real 
dude's account. First guy, so yeah, that's not, sure. that's, just, that's, that's the best part of the movie. Like it's the, as reliable as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah, it's like the writer apologized, like, dude, I'm sorry, I totally fucked up your real life story by adding that stuff with the needle and the shit. It's like, that's, that's the scariest fucking shit of right. any alien abduction movie I've ever seen. Is Communion a, a documentary? I want to see that. I haven't seen that one. Tom, you have Communion to. is basically good just for Christopher Walken being goofy. Right. Whitney Stryber, that, that guy is, by the way, Way, speaking of this whole uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, something that really happened. So Whitley Stryber is just a, a crappy horror writer who did the Howling books, I think. And now he's after that, he got this idea, oh, I'm going to pretend everything really happened. Uh, and he's doing that crap with UFO stuff. Uh, but no, communist. Fine, but I mean, I didn't, is the, so the movie, right, because they're not, they didn't sound mal- malignant enough. Well, like I think a- actually the movie does have some, is it Mark Pellingham? Is it the guy that did the Mothman Chronicles that did Communion? You know, uh, so, uh, Chronicles is kind of creepy. Sometimes. No, no, I was going to say Communion does have some creepy stuff. Come to think of it, but I don't know that it's nowhere near like Fire in the Sky as far as being a flat-out cool horror movie about uh, alien abduction. Fire in the Sky has only got that one ten-minute section that's amazing, and then you don't get to see how it ends. Like, wait, how do you get off the fucking? You don't know how he gets out of it, or why they let him go, or what's going on. I don't know. Mm. An alien throws him out the trash hatch. Yeah, <laughs> we should write one. Let's write like an alien movie. Alien abduction movie. Ready? By the way, that's how a- Alien Abduction, the crappy one that, that came out this year that I just watched, that one ends. It's so stupid. I feel like why you know why would you add this at the end of your dopey horror movie? At least commit. Uh, it ends with uh, fo- uh, like police dash cam footage of them finding the family surviving. What? I know they get abducted and they put get put back in their fire. Actually, I think you see the father getting rescued. And there's a little title card that rescued the, the, the cop. Yeah, they just find him wandering the streets, and the cop says, "Okay, we found the last of the family members. They're all okay now." Like it has, it's pulling back <sighs> this idea that they met some terrible fate at the hand of the aliens. Well, they then what? Yeah. On and it dropped off. Uh, yeah. Well, and then they Sorry, should have it or something on the cops. Remember the bay. You didn't watch it, did you? I can't remember. I'm the one that told you to watch it. It's Barry Levinson. Uh, it's mm. his found footage. Well, you said don't watch it, and I ignored right. you. Yeah, the bay's terrible. And then I watched it and went, that's dumb, except for Kristen Connolly, as usual. That's what you want to do. I didn't. <laughs> I was dumb. Dingus, save us from talking about horror movies all night, yeah, we will sorry. do it. We Aliens. will do it, Dingus. No, this will take us totally off the track of horror movies. Here's a quote from my number one. They're kissing again. Do we have to read the kissing parts? I knew someone was going to bring up Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love this so much because it's not only a um, a framing device for the movie, but the novel itself has the framing device within it. Um, and it's so well written. It's a, it's a William Goldman uh, book. And he, he writes it as, as if it were a uh, – God, how do you put it? Um, an abridged version of this book, The Princess Bride, by uh, an author named S. S. Morgenstern. Um, and uh, and he got this idea to write. He's writing this book about this Princess Bride, and he kind of got bored, I think, as he was writing it. And then he decided to write it as an abridgment and comment on what he was doing as he wrote it. And, and reading The Princess Bride is a great experience, especially reading uh, the dual sequence in it. It's one of the funniest books I've ever read. But that 
when they adapted it, they just went ahead and used that, which is a natural thing to do, to use that framing device from the book, but in a slightly different way of, of Peter Falk, who is just inspired casting in this, uh, coming in to read to his grandson who's sick in bed, who doesn't want to be read to, he just wants to play his video games and leave me alone, Grandpa, and there's kissing in this, and uh, okay, I'll listen to you if there's sports in it, and they dip in every now and then and pull you out of the narrative because of uh, the screaming eels, and suddenly that kid is interested, and he's totally excited about it, and all of this comes out of uh, writing this book comes out of William Goldman telling stories to his daughters and a lot of these ideas that he went into writing this book about were stories that he was telling to his kids and so he wrote a book that was kind of those stories but then he kind of got bored with talking about the prince and then he moved on to make a story about telling a story and uh and i just love i love that overarching and so i've got two rob reiner movies on my list this week um i love that framing device i love the way it it opens the way it ends the way he walks out it's like well if, if you if you have to grandpa you can come back and read me another story tomorrow um and i just think it's so cleverly done in the princess bride both it as a as a as a um, as an experience of reading a novel that does that, that has a framing device as a novel, and then as a movie that kind of remains true to that. Thing is, I predict this is not going to be the last that someone has picked yeah. Princess Bride for favorite framing device. Well, I, I certainly would imagine so, but but this is when I when I first decided to do this after watching Henry Five again for the the last three by three we did, um, and I and I landed on three by three for our, I mean I landed on a framing device for our next three by three. Princess Bride is the first thing I thought of uh, because I mean that's just an obvious pick. But I, I mean, do you remember? I, mean, I, I know I don't think you guys really care for the movie the way I no, do. No, no, <laughs> I do, but I, nobody I like, doesn't care for Princess Bride. Yeah, <laughs> you find me someone who's like, yeah, I didn't really like that. Nobody says that about. Princess well, I would expect you to say it, Tom. You you sneered it. Stand by me. Uh, well, Uh-oh. that's a kids' movie. <laughs> It's All right, well, let's see. Let's see who else has picked Princess. Wait, wait, wait. I wanted to say something about Dingus's thing. In the book, I don't remember if this happens in the movie, Dingus, but in the book, isn't there a part where the kid goes, so what happens? Like, in the, in the grandpa's all, well, Wesley dies and the prince gets away. And then the kid's all, uh, yeah, fuck that or something. It's like the guy <laughs> tends to stop reading. And then the kid's like, no, no, I'll shut up. Just keep going, keep going. And he, like, talks him into it. And then at the end, it's like, life's not fair, but it's fairer than death. Isn't there some quote like that at the end? I ends. think so, yeah. But um, are you talking about the that moment in the movie? Does that happen in the movie? He goes, yeah, Wesley. He, t- he just gives away spoilers, although... Well, shit, you know, a little well there's something similar to that where, where Fred... What's his name? Fred Savage. You know, he gets too nervous. And yeah. and Peter Falk's like, all right, well, no, you're getting too upset. Right. I'll, I'll go ahead and leave. And... And now Fred Savage is hooked, and the grandson is hooked, and he's like, no, 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 please, please keep going. I'll, I'll be fine. Yeah. I don't know if it's when Wesley dies, but there is that moment where he's like, he's not really dead, is he? And, and the grandfather's like, do you want me to keep reading or not? Yeah. Wait, in, the, in, in the movie, though, is the implication that Peter Falk wrote that book? <laughs> or does he just know William Goldman's? Because he's not just reading the actual book, because the framing device, you'd read to the grandkid. So, 
you know, I know zombies don't exist in the Walking Dead world, but or zombie movies, but does the Princess Bride book exist? I don't care anymore. Go back to the <laughs> listeners. Well, his last, isn't his last thing that he says to him, uh, yeah, when he says, will you come back and read to me again? Uh, the grandfather says, as you wish. And there's this like little implication of him having been within the story. And that they're getting married. Yes, they will get married. He and his grandson. That's For a time. I think Rob Reiner made those back-to-back, too, and it was right after he'd invented the mockumentary with Spinal Tap, and then he didn't suck till the 90s, right? <laughs> I think he has a t-shirt that says, I didn't suck till the 90s. North, remember? I haven't seen it, but <laughs> tell from the trailer. Tom, thoughts? <laughs> uh, that Sleepless in Seattle was pretty good. Ugh, that's not him, is it? It's Nora Ephron. God. She's like a chick Rob Reiner. Oh, not oh. anymore. Oh. Alas. Alas and lack. Tom. Sir. What do the listeners have to say about Princess Bride? Uh, good question. Let's let's find out. All right, let's start with Jonathan J. Lando DePratna. Uh, I wonder if it's too soon to speak of my number three. Uh, no, Jonathan, it's not. Um, the Grand Budapest Hotel? Well, whatever. I enjoyed the film, and I was tickled by the framing of a girl visiting the site of her favorite author and beginning to read his seminal work. Then we are taken back in time to, quote, the author, unquote, doing an interview to tell the story behind the book. Then we go back in time again to the events of the book. In the end, it kicks Inception style back to the fangirl in the modern age. He actually missed a layer right away. Hmm. Jonathan J. Rander Duprat in, in that description. There's a he, he missed one of the four layers of framing devices. <laughs> when you talk about layers, there's another one I want to bring up for uh, uh, runners up. But anyway, so anyway, his number two. My second pick is recent, and I know for Dingus a controversial pick, but the Lego movie is not until over halfway through your suspicions are confirmed, and this tale is actually framed by huge daddy issues, which is a trope which tends to resonate with me. Is it a framing device if it's not, if it doesn't occur at the beginning of the movie? Like, yeah, if if, if it's half a frame. I don't know that that's... Yeah, I'm not sure uh, that I would accept I that either. one. Yeah. I don't know either. So, I mean, I like his picture. Got I in like, circle. Like, I like, like that concept frame. a lot, but I don't know that I. I think that might be the first one where I'm going to say, nope, not a framing device. It, uh, that and every one of Kelly's picks. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, no, nope. <laughs> for every time. It is especially his number two. <laughs> yeah, my number two is terrible. Finally, I go back to my childhood with my number one with Creepshow Two. <laughs> I I enjoy the framed framing of animated sequences that bookend both films, but I enjoy the second more as it ends with bullies getting murdered, which I am more more down with than the patricide of the first creep show. Wait, I thought he had the dad daddy issues. You should like that first one more. Maybe those aren't his issues. Oh, I thought he said okay. Not to mention, this is one of my earliest horror films, and I always have a place in my heart for it. The second one. Yeah, he loves Creepshow, too. Hmm. And finally, Jonathan J. Lando Deprana has a runner-up. It's Disney's Aladdin trilogy. The latter two are straight-to-DVD affairs. I actually really enjoy all of them. And first begins with a stereotype peddler hawking a lamp and telling the tale of Aladdin to the audience in song. At the end of the third film, we're taken back to the peddler, and he closes the film with a reprise of that song. 
I will see those if if you promise me Robin Williams is not in any of them. I cannot do that. Uh, horror anthologies uh, are kind of like they have to come up with these unique concepts or framing devices. And I don't even remember. No one's going to mention this, so I'll bring this up. Uh, is it called? It's some Italian director, and it has a, a famous sequence about a nurse who is sitting up with the dead body of an old woman who has just died. I think it's even called the oh, the water faucet or the dripping water or something. And she steals a ring from the old woman's corpse, and the corpse kind of haunts her. Um, at any rate, it, it was several. Uh, it was a bunch of shorts, and the framing device was I want to say Boris Karloff. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He was narrating, but then at the end, it cuts to him on a fake horse, on a like horseback, and the camera pulls back, and you see the crew hanging around him, and the screen behind him, <laughs> like it's a back screen effect, and he's on a fake horse, and they're moving the lights and the cameras around, and he's still doing the narration, the stuff about, oh, you could get killed, and it's really weird, like it just breaks that fourth wall. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about, Kelly Wand? No, but it sounds familiar. But it sounds like something that would have made me wince when I saw it. It's like, well, it's just, yeah, it's just weird. So weird and out of place. I don't like winks in my horror. It's not even, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's barely even a wink. It's just like pulling it back the whole sheet. It's just like like showing the, taking the mask off of the monster, kind of. It's really odd. Well, the, ma- the monster wears masks, generally. It's the equivalent. It's a, it's a metaphor, Kelly Wand like doing oh. it's a simile <laughs> Turn up. well those uh, uh, those hammer movies always had kind of things like or like framing devices where it's like oh yeah we're talking to death but our plant deaths I don't know a lot of hammer horror movies I only know the greatest Terrence. one which is twins of evil mm. no framing devices in that it doesn't need it it oh, it has twins don't the twins don't frame they... you wait so evil twins they're not really evil. One of them's evil. Oh, she's not even. She's not even that way in the beginning. She becomes evil. Oops. So you think if it was evil twins, they wouldn't. They both would make it long. Well, they're, they're twins evil. of evil, Kelly Warren. They're not necessarily evil twins. Oh, so the mom was evil. So the twins aren't even evil. It's just the mom. Twins are an original sin, Kelly Warren. We're all of evil, aren't we? Adam and evil. Mm. Uh, all right, so Jonathan James and Pratna uh, calling out Creepshow. Very nice. I did watch that recently, Creepshow 2. Uh, That's the lamer one. I know, it is kind of. The first one's good, I think. Isn't well, it? What's, what's the movie with... Um, Marshall and Cockroaches? No, with uh, Albert Brooks and... Um, Twilight Zone. Uh, is it Twilight Zone, the movie? Yeah. Where is, uh, do you want to see something really, really scary? scary? Yeah. Is that have a framing device, or is it just a that bunch is of stories? That is a framing device, isn't it? That is a framing device. Although, it's also weird, because it's... I don't know. I guess it was a horror show. Kind of. Science fiction-y horror. It seemed like not really what something that you'd see on the actual Twilight Zone. I don't think you'd go... Like, Rod Sterling would come out. He'd do what Boris Karloff was doing, and go, Hey! Right, right, right. Crazy, huh? All right. <laughs> Later, Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. Look at this old ape. All right, so uh, our next listener submission is from a fellow named Space Monkey, uh, which is a friend of ours. I hope you get a ton of submissions for this since there are so many great examples. And he parenthetically includes a bunch that he won't talk about, but he just lists them. So I'm not going to do that. 
um, other than to say that he also does say Princess Bride. So there you go, Tom. That's one hash mark on Princess Bride. Thing is, looking in there, do they all seem legit? Are there some in there that you go, nah, not a framing device? Uh, no, I think they. Well, I don't know. Okay. Um, you're you're a more lenient judge than I am. I don't know that I would accept Memento. What do you think? Not a framing device. Mm. A shuffled narrative is not a framing device. Right. It's a shuffled narrative. Um, and Inception, obviously. Um, not okay. a framing device. That's what happens. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> if it's what happens, it's not a framing device. <laughs> Uh, but for some reason, one example has ter- turned out to be my favorite. The Mission, with Jeremy Irons, Robert De Niro, Aidan Quinn, Liam Neeson, and a gaggle of Gairani tribes people. Sorry if I messed that up. The framing device is a letter being written to the Pope by emissary Cardinal Altamirano, Ray McNally, who has come to the New World to ascertain whether any of the Jesuit missions in the South American jungle should be allowed to remain or whether the colonial Portuguese should be allowed to to reap slaves from the native population to their heart's content. As the story unfolds, a few film sequences of the Cardinal writing and some voiceover narration, God help you, uh, periodically return to move things forward. I think it is novel for this narrator to leave the framing device and physically enter the story as late as he does and have as small a part as he has, even though he and his ultimate decision are pivotal to the plot. But maybe my favorite part of this frame is the final shot of the film. The Cardinal has finished his letter right before the close-up on his face cuts to black. He looks up right at the camera, breaking the fourth wall for the last instant of the movie, seemingly indicting us viewers for passively standing by as the film's brutal events unfold. Oh, Roland Joffe. Don't give him the stick, Space Monkey. Mm. Uh, what happened to Roland Joffe that he did stuff like that and then did that crappy thing where Elijah, Eliza Dushk, or no, uh, Elijah Cuthbert. Cuthbert right, gets kidnapped? What? This is a crappy uh, horror movie where yeah she gets kidnapped but it turns out I haven't even seen it it turns I out that it's like that. a consensual thing yeah no that's that's that. Roland Joffe it's not well wait, no, no it's I like know. it's like somebody I forget there I mean I've read about it I haven't seen it but it's there's some dumb. twist right uh the guy that she thinks is a fellow prisoner's in on it but then she kills everybody and leaves <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> I think it's called stalked or imprisoned no captivity captivity yep it's torture porn uh yeah it was one of, oh, i don't know no. I, never, I, I like her in house of wax though i think that movie's underrated it's not a rolling jockey remember movie. house of wax Tom? i do well that's that's uh juan colette serra yeah <sighs> I the love director of orphan oh, oh really wait the orphan guy made house of wax yeah come yeah, on dude. come do on you listen to the quarter yeah. three movie podcast kelly one because they talked Skip about it on that podcast <laughs> I don't listen to the podcast. It's usually a house of wax. Also, the uh, one of the... House of wax! House of Kelly wax! One of the creators of The River, the TV series that you didn't watch. Oh, I thought that was Oren Pelle. <laughs> he and uh, Juan Colette Serra collaborated on it. Yeah. Roland Jaffe also did, if, if memory serves, The Scarlet Letter. Did he? With Demi he Moore. did a lot of like period piece things. Like I that. think he did, yeah. The Killing Fields, uh, obviously, but he, I think he did the Scarlet Letter, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Why are you laughing at Scarlet Letter? It's not a joke. Because uh, you get to see uh, Gary Oldman naked. That's, <laughs> for you. That's what makes Dingus laugh. <laughs> Look at that thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next we have Paul Weimer. <laughs> 
Uh, my name is Paul Weimer. Let me tell you the story of the time the QT3 trio read my 3x3 entry on the air. It was a dark and stormy night. See what he did there? Number three, the Prestige has a twisty framing device with Borden reading his rival Angier's diary about Angier reading his diary. Uh, uh, number two, in Citizen Kane, the death investigation of the titular uh, character frames and embeds flashbacks to scenes from Kane's life. And finally, number one, Peter Falk reading the story of the movie to hey, Savage in The Princess Bride. Tom Fountain book, framing device, question mark. <laughs> and then they lived happily ever after, or at least until the next podcast anyway. Best regards, Paul Weimer, who framed his letter. Thank you, Paul. I'm not very happy. You will be. You oh. Be. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, Arthur Giovanangelo. Every time I do this. Uh, Giovanangeli. Uh, Arthur uh, Giovanangeli says, number three, Snatch. What's his movie choice, though? Exactly. Uh, Jason Statham, a boxing promoter, begins this movie by telling Doug the Head what he knows about diamonds. As he tells Doug his story, we discover the strange sequence of events that landed him in the same room as a stolen stone dealer. I love the way... The movie returns to the scene at the end for one final lap. Who steals dealers? That's fucked up. Uh, number two, The Usual Suspects. Everybody likes that. Uh, almost so far tied with Citizen Kane. It's always number two. <laughs> almost all of this movie is set up as Kevin Spacey recounting a series of events to Chaz Palminteri. Turns out what Verbal Kent was actually doing was closer to storytelling. Actually not. It's, it's better than Citizen Kane because there are three people that chose it. Hmm. Although it's dumber because Chaz Palminteri should notice some of these things. If it's he does, but at just the right time. Imagine what a different movie it would have been if halfway through Chaz Palminteri. Yeah, wait, a wait a minute, hold Kobayashi. on. Kobe, that's my. That's the coffee cup. Wait, what are you doing? What? Hold on, wait. Now I have a fax. Hey, that's you. I have all this evidence <laughs> right here. Really, really. So Arthur Gio <laughs> and Jelly. Arthur Giovanangeli has number one, and this is one of my runners-up, uh, Cloud Atlas. Ugh. This whole movie is frames, framed as a story that Tom Hanks is telling to a group of children. Within his story is another story, and within that story is another story, and so on. I could not have been more thrilled with this setup. A movie about stories within stories is framed as an oral tale being passed down to a younger generation. I'm glad he told the one about the dude in the nursing home. That's an yeah. appropriate story. The kids really got a lot out of that one. I'm yeah, better. that was on the other planet. Very I relevant. Oh, look! I loved Cloud Atlas. I'm totally fine with this. And my understanding is that the book is even more layered than that, as far as stories. The book, they have it's nothing to do with each other, do they? In the book, they're just—it's just short stories, right? Yeah, but there's still a nesting of the stories. I think, as far as the there book, is? book is concerned, well, I thought I the book—they were just separate yeah. stories. I don't think so. I think they link in some way. Maybe Kelly Wong, can you? Ver you're our source material expert. Uh, I don't read uh, books that have Atlas in the title, <laughs> unless they're actual. <laughs> so his uh, runner-up is Life of Pi, spelled P-I-E. First of all, I'm not a fan of what Rafe Spall is doing during the sections with the older Pi, and I can no way defend the choice to include the So You're the Tiger line. Those complaints aside, I do like Erfan Khan's performance and love how the story's framing works on a thematic level, even if some of the elements are lacking. 
Mm. I don't know. I mean, the framing device has to be a good thing, right? Like, doesn't if to, to make the list has to be one where we're like, ah, framing device, clever. Well, it is our favorite framing devices. Uh, Dave Perkins is next. He has just one this time. Here's a line, and on that farm, he shot some guys. So that's the usual suspects. Straw dogs. Oh, into the lead. <laughs> straw dogs. <laughs> I don't think, does he shoot anyone at straw dogs? Or James Marsden's a walking framing device. <laughs> yeah. That's why he plays Cyclops. Uh, oh. frame, he has frames. Too soon. Anyway, uh, Chris Hornbostel is next. Uh, hi, quarter three movie podcasters. I know I'm terribly late to the party here, so I'll share these in the thread if they don't make the podcast. They did, Chris. Uh, without further ado, number three, a quote. You know, Mr. Bernstein, if I hadn't been very rich, I might have been a really great man. Fictional movies that have been that have the sheen of being a sort of biopic are a Hollywood standard. (laughs) Biopic. (laughs) So it's hard to remember that the great Citizen Kane was the first really Uh, great one. mm -hmm. Using the death of Kane and Rosebud Search as a framing device was obviously genius. Yeah, that's Tom. Genius. Yeah, it's not genius it. enough to get more votes than usual suspects. That was all I'm saying. More of the world's really happened, by the way. <laughs> Take a seat. I won't get that. <laughs> Number two, a quote. The trick, William Potter, is not minding that it hurts. Oh, God. William Potter? His name's Harry. Why is he calling him William Potter? Oh, wait. He's not Prometheus. He's doing Lawrence. Right. That's right. Got Obviously, yeah. that's Lawrence of Arabia, which you see do. what Prometheus has done to us. Yeah, see, see what Prometheus has done to us. Makes me go, oh, Lawrence of Arabia, fucking Prometheus. Uh, <laughs> oh, look what Prometheus has done to our city. Right. Um, obviously, that's Lawrence of Arabia, which uses the titular character's death and funeral as a framing device. It makes it clear that Lawrence will be a flamboyant, larger-than-life character put on Earth to play his part in a particular time and place than likely too bored to stick around. Oh, now that he brings up a funeral, I'm, I wonder if the last one's going to bring up... A crappy Earth. device. All right, so um, number one, uh, Chris Hornbostel's number one. Quote, there is an endless supply of white men, but there there always has been a limited number of human beings. That's one true. Of, one of my all-time favorite movies is Little Big Man, which uses the framing device of having a 121-year-old Jack Crabb tell his story. Although it can be a goofy thing at times due to a young Dustin Hoffman trying to sound very old, the final scene when the writer leaves and Jack just sits there weeping with his head in his hands is incredibly moving and gives the device all the gravitas it needs. That's it from me. Love the podcast. Are finding devices lessened when you have to use old person makeup? Uh, And Prometheus again. Wait, what's the question? Cold. If you're well, framing Titanic, device, should Kate. Haley Atwell have shown up in The Winter Soldier? Not a framing device. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Aren't isn't the Avengers a framing device for Iron Man three? And um, no. <laughs> Go ahead, give me a tougher question. Uh, are the James Bond opening? No, it is an Iron Man three because he's he's kind of playing on what he did in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, isn't he? Uh, it's it's Robert. It's a it's a Tony Stark telling the story of of what happened, isn't it? Pass. Is Pass. Cocoon two a framing device for the for first? Mannequin. 
Yeah. From Mannequin. Uh, Ted Danson. A framing device. And for, Tom Selleck framing devices for Steve Gutenberg in Three Men and a Little Oh, Life. that's one of my runners up. Uh, our final entrant is Aaron Vaughn. Dear QT33X3, here are my choices for best framing devices. Number three, when I fall asleep, you have to go. That is from a movie called The Fall. Lee Pitts' conjuring of a fantastical tale is all a result of his being in a hospital at the same time as a young girl with a broken arm. The fact that he's using storytelling as a bartering method for tricking her into sneaking into medical cabinets for enough morphine to kill himself is about as dark of a take on bargaining with a child. Most people read kids a bedtime story as an olive branch for behavior and hopefully a sleeping child, but he takes it to another level of manipulation by turning this fairy tale into assisted suicide. The awesome thing about that is I would say the framing device completely upstages yeah. whatever's being framed. It's sort of like, <laughs> eh, it's more like there's a cool movie, and every now and then it shows you a crappier little tiny movie inside of it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Aaron Vaughn's number two. From here, I think the wound would be consistent with the story I shall tell. So this is from Kind Hearts and Coronets. One of Obi-Wan's first movies features him in eight roles. Each one is a character soon to meet their demise, as recounted by his murderer currently awaiting the noose. I don't know if anyone's seen this, but I did a few years ago and enjoyed the framing device of a man in prison would become a serial killer, but ironically finds himself convicted for a crime he hasn't committed. So wait, this, Alec Guinness plays eight roles in it? Yes, yes. This, yeah. So he took work away from seven other actors. Or Peter Sellers. Right, just like that guy in the remake of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Deep Roy. Very good. Wah. Deep Wah. <laughs> where this could have been a typical retelling of how one man got away with it all, we're treated to how he may as well tell all, since he won't be getting away with anything. And Aaron Vaughn's number one, quote, constantly talking isn't necessarily communicating, unquote. And that is from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So here we have a nonlinear movie, Tom. Yep, not a framing device. Which is housed in one of the most inventive framing devices ever, the wiping of one man's memory. The deconstruction of Jim Carrey's relationship with Kate Winslet is messy, endearing, and personal in ways that we haven't seen before, and all thanks to the power of imagination. If only more movies that took place in the human mind were nearly as fun to watch. Thanks for the podcasts, Aaron. Human nature's framing device is that Senate hearing. Reese Ethan's. Well, telling. I think you got it. I mean, you, the adaptations framing device. <sighs> Wait, why are you? Why was that? What was that heavy sci for? What's the matter with you? I don't know. It's an awesome framing device. Yeah, I know. I think I'm just more a human naturist than an adaptationist. That's just weird. I said it. Is it? <laughs> Take the pathless travel, brah. How could you be a human naturist over an adaptationist? That make I could understand maybe being a synecdochist. Oh, oh my god, I saw that. Is that a framing device? Or no, I don't I don't know enough about what's mm-hmm. going on in Synecdoche to You don't? Well to I mean there's is there a framing device there? There's gotta be, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's them in therapy or what? I don't know. Oh no, the whole play within like the whole movie within the the play within the movie and Yeah, but it's yeah, like it's, yeah, I think that's just a device. <laughs> right. It's a non framing device. You're a device. Uh, good one. Uh, do we have any runners-up, gentlemen? 
adaptation. <laughs> Does the Saving Private Ryan one? See, that's the one I was flashback. nervous about. Once. Flashback. Because you go, oh, it's Tom Hanks's flashback because it goes right from old man to D Day, but I then Part, so. I guess that is a framing uh, device. The whole it's flashback. not. It's a terrible framing device because it's it, it's a character who couldn't have been there for any right. of the flashbacks. So he's an unreliable narrator. It's, he's not there. <laughs> so he's yeah. He's an unreliable narrator. Transform to a battle of those that. events. It's all Matt Damon not being there. Yeah. What do you think of that, Tom? You apologize. Uh, I'm more of a thin red linist. <laughs> God. Wait, why did, why did you go, oh, God, at that? That's a viable thing to be. You can either be a Saving Private Ryanist or a Thin Red Lionist. Well, I don't think I just made the case that I'm a Saving Private Ryanist by what I just said. But I would also say... No one accused you of that, but you're awfully defensive. Mm-hmm. The thin red li- I think everyone's a Thin Red Lionist. No, Those please. Actually exclusive. No, people watch Thin Red Line and they're like, what? Huh? I'll bet that's a movie you could go see it in the th- You know, actually, Kelly Wand, when I went to see Thin Red Line on opening day, it opened on Christmas Day in 1990. Uh, <laughs> when I went to see it, I, I was in line waiting to go into the theater, and the other, uh, the audience from the previous screening was coming out. A guy walking out of the theater said to those of us in the line, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. Don't go see uh- that. I always get excited when I hear that. That was awesome. Yeah. So yeah, there's at least one non-thin red lineist out there. Yeah. Well, that was the Matt Damon character from Saving Private Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> and he had that look on his face that he does at the beginning of Saving Private Ryan when he came out of Thin Red Line, like he's looking horrified at you, which is unusual, probably. All of us. No, he was looking at everyone going to see the movie. Did he say it separately to everyone in the line? No, he was he was just sort of like it was like he was giving a speech as he was walking. He was, was Terrence Malick. Was that Terrence Malick? I'm pretty sure Terrence Malick probably approves of that movie. We can only hope. Prudent. All right, other runners up. <laughs> no, but you know what? It was a great topic. That's okay, what, well, I, what do we have then next week? A lame topic. Oh, that's not a good way to follow up on a great topic. What do you mean? That's the only way to follow up on it. <laughs> what do you got for us? <clears throat> the three best. Oh god! <laughs> Any guesses? Lamps. Based on what I've already said, lamps. That's next. Three best you mirrors know? in movies. Oh wait, we've already done reflections. Send me to Dingus. I'm very upset right now. Three best books you've sent to Tom. <laughs> three best uh, presentations. So like, I like this. All right. You do. All right. I'll take... You want me to burn an ace, or do you already get it? Sure, no, yeah. What made you think of this? Um, This isn't what made me think of it. I'm not going to burn that good an ace, but okay. like the Death Star plan thing in Return of the Jedi. I was thinking even of uh, Karen Gillan in uh, Oculus. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, so then right, that's what made me think of it. All right, so we'll take off Oculus and leave the Death Star briefing on the table, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, so just presentations. Uh, Dingus, do we need any elaboration? I think that's a... I will never ask Kelly Wanda a question. That's a good point. <laughs> in real life, that's a good idea as well. Uh, uh, so if you have ideas for presentations in movies that you like, send us one, two, three. 
send us some runners up. Let us know your three best your best presentations from movies, and of course why you like them. Send them to three by three at quarter to three dot com. That's the number three, the letter X, the number three at, and then you spell out quarter to three dot com. Uh, next week we are going to see. I've completely blanked. What do we see next week? Transcendence. Ah, next week we are going to see Transcendence, which I oh, is that the one with uh, Haley Stillwell in it? I mean, uh, uh, Shailene Woodley. <laughs> Jesus. Wow, Kelly Wand. I don't uh, know. I don't, all I know, there's one famous person in it. I accidentally read some of the um, the uh, synopsis today on IMDb, so I've kind of screwed up the experience for myself. Why'd you do um, that? My dad started telling me the, what the movie was about today. Johnny Depp! <laughs> I'm like, Dad, you know I don't watch trailers. Why do you think that is? Oh, I I do like – I'm always fascinated when someone who's actually been working in the industry a long time directs for the first time, and that's the case with Transcendence. It's a cinematographer who's been – I uh, I don't know specifically like what he's done. He, his name kind of stands out, so it's a name I've seen before. What was he a cinematographer? Yeah, yeah. He was a DP for uh, – his name is Wally Pfister, P-F-I. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and so it's his first time directing. Uh, so I'm always fascinated to see somebody who's been working in the business finally decides, well, I want to direct, by golly, and uh, gets together a movie. So this is Wally Fister's first movie. Sometimes well, they start out coming out of the gate, like Jan DeBont, I think his first movie was Speed One, which was kind of good for some time, but then he makes like a bunch of poop. Like Twister, which poop. did, yeah. And Barry Sonnenfeld used to direct, uh, used to do the DP, DP stuff for Coen Brothers. Exactly, yep. And Wally Fister was... Um, Dark Knight. Paxton. I mean, I was, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I think Dingus. I think he was a Nolanite at some point. Ah, uh, you're right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm on board for that. Yeah. Um, I just and I will go ahead and say that. Well, maybe you should. I don't know specifically if it relates. I'm going to guess it will relate. But I recommend also because I think I might want to talk about it. Um, a, a British sci-fi movie called The Machine, which is available on uh, video on demand. Um. Why do you? Why you? Okay, never mind. I'll wait to. In reference to transcendence. Well, it's also a. Uh, I I know. I guess it's an. It's, it's just some kind of AI sci-fi thing. Is all I know. That's what transcendence uh. is. And uh, the machine is, is as well. Uh, and I really like the machine. Kelly Wand, you should see the machine. Hmm. And I'll give you uh, the the reason you should see the machine uh, is an actress named Katie Lotz. Oh my God. Yep. Yep. I yeah, like it I already. Videos, but you will once you see the movie. Sure, he sounds like a Bond girl. <laughs> uh, better. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is I like a Bond character. Movie. I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't mean she sounds like, like a Lois Maxwell. <laughs> She's related. Yeah, that's very good. They don't have names like that anymore. Well, I guess they kind of do. She related to Kelly Letts? Oh, Kellen Lutz. Did you just call him Kelly oh, yeah. Lutz? Is that you're that familiar with Kellen Lutz? Well, he said Kelly, and I thought Kelly McDonald, and then he said Lutz. Kelly Lutz. Dingus calls him Kelly. Yeah, he's he and I are we're, we're bros. I try to get Kelly McDonald when someone says my name. I'm like, oh, Kelly McDonald. Oh, that screws it up for me when I when I'm saying when I'm halfway through saying Kelly McDonald's name and you think your it, face sort of intrudes on the image, Kelly Wand. It screws uh, it up for me. Uh, that's a, yeah, I can see where, yeah, I'm sorry you have to go through that. I am too. Uh, like, so join uh, us. Heather Thomas, because your name's Tom. Right, right. What were you just saying? Join us? I was going to say join us for the transcendence. Wait, wait, you got to tell them. 
where to send the topics to. Or did you did that? Did that already? We uh, they know to send in their best presentations to us, uh, and they now know to see transcendence and maybe check out the machine on uh, video on demand because it might figure into our transcendence discussion. Who knows? Or at least Tom's. Yeah. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Milsky. It's Christian Moroski. And Kelly Wand. What's her name? Kate what? <laughs> Katie Lots. <laughs> no, that was my tagline. Oh my god. You know what I saw? It's disrespect to talk over Michael Jackson. What did you see? Oh, I thought that was very good. Um, I saw part of Lone Ranger. <laughs> oh God! Can I just say oh, part I saw? Yeah. Uh, they look over, and Silver the horse is it like standing on a tree branch, and then Tano goes, "Something wrong with that horse." I, I actually am. I'm sorry to say this, Kelly Wand. I know that scene from the trailer. What? They gave that yeah. away. Such a money yeah. shot. Next week, transcendence. If you read this podcast, you're an idiot. Dingus, back me up. Hydrate. (laughs) That's from every movie.